0: Hello, and welcome back to Getting Hammered with Hammer. I'm your co-host, Jinx, and as with every week, while well, I say every week, this is only like the third episode, but I am joined by co-host Paul Farrell, and we are basically going to, well, have a lot of drinks while watching a Hammer movie. So if you are tuning in as a previous Scream Addicts listener, uh, you know, um, Paul, I don't know, what do you think here? Should I explain for how many episodes do I need to go ahead and set up the conceit of this show? Do you think maybe four, maybe four or five?
1: I think third date, you know, is kind of what solidifies it. And this is our third date with people, right? Wow, that's, that's a, date that, number three. That's a weird way to uh, frame that. But okay,
0: sure. Uh, we're, we're consummating things with the audience on this episode. <laughs> Let's just go ahead
1: and throw well, I, I haven't had enough drinks yet, but I mean, <laughs> I think we can explain it this, this time. Right? Not for
0: nothing, listeners have bought us dinner. Um, okay, no. so if you are a previous Screamatics listener, you are probably used to the idea that on a traditional episode, we invite on a creative and horror, they choose a single movie to talk about, and we kind of rap about it for an hour. With the special getting hammered with Hammer episodes, myself and Paul here, well, we we're basically watching all the Hammer horror films in order, uh, and we come up with fun drinking games. And uh, we basically get sloshed while watching some great gothic horrors. So uh, we pretty much alternate. We take turns. We uh, we have a movie. And we come up with the rules for drinking game. And on the night of recording, we spring what those rules are during the recording to our fellow co-host. And then we uh, we just basically try our best to get each other sloshed. But uh, we found out something with the last recording. Since this is a show that is still kind of uh, learning what it is, we have decided to take the first 10-15 minutes have a full drink and just chat about what we've been watching before we dive into the uh, commentary proper that way we're already a little good and tipsy before that first drop of blood hits the screen paul how's your week yes. going
1: that's going good i'm i'm happy to be back here talking hammer with you uh, now, it's been this a, was a, oh sorry good. no you're good just saying it's it's been a busy week so i'm i'm looking forward to a little relaxing drinks and conversation
0: Good deal. Now, this was your week. Uh, Last week, if listeners remember, I chose uh, Red Comets to go along with Horror of Dracula. This week, we had the next film in the order of the Hammer Horror franchise, which is The Revenge of Frankenstein. Paul, what drink did you choose?
1: Uh, Well, I tried to choose beer, and uh, Jinx decided that that was not I never said maybe no. the best course of action. I never nixed it. It's always your choice. <laughs> true, true. Um, but there's some strong encouragement, so I decided to go with my Here's my terrible. other thought. Uh, okay, well, that's that's a terrible. Uh, uh, I went with mojitos. Um, so I've got my Bacardi mix of mojitos with. Um, I like to put a little bit of uh, uh, lime. Uh, sparkling water in there as well, little little splash of that, and that kind of yes. mell[s] it out a slight slight bit. So, um, that's kind of what we're doing tonight. Pretty excited about it.
0: Yeah, mojitos, mojitos are better than beer. I'll give it that. You know, like uh, you know, compared to beer, what is what is the line from Miami Vice? The uh, a for mojitos or something like that. I that's where I first learned this drink. I tried a couple, and you know, the the first thing I said. The very first Mojito I ever tried, I kid you not, first sip, I was like, hey, this is better than beer. So uh, you know, happy happy you went with that this week. I I know I'm gonna get
1: endorsement.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. I like mojitos, I really do. I wouldn't say I'm a fiend for them, but you know, I'm I'm rated down a couple anyway. So tell you what, every week leading up to these episodes, we are going to be dropping what the drink of choice is, and we're also going to be putting up what the drinking game rules are. Now we won't get into that just yet. First, Paul, while we pour and drink this first mojito. I'm gonna go ahead and throw the question over to you before I take a sip. Uh what have you been watching this week, horror-wise? What uh what uh what's been what's been taking up your time, your movie viewing time?
1: Sure. Well, um, yeah, I've had a really eclectic week of movie viewing. Um, I've watched a lot of different things uh that weren't horror, but I did squeeze some horror in so we could talk about it. I, I will say I've been uh hitting up this is not horror at all, so I'm going against the grain here, but I've watched a lot of Arnold Schwarzenegger late eighties, early nineties movies. <laughs> what the hell? Um, yeah. And i I just want to say that they're, they're delightful. Oh, yeah. they're, uh, but anyway, uh, no, I mean, I, uh, I'm going to start with a, another hammer movie actually um, called nightmare from 1964. Um, it's sort of a uh, it's black and white, you know, gothic horror uh, about this young girl who sort of is at private school And she starts having uh, horrible nightmares um, about her mother, who's locked in, in a sane asylum and kind of like haunting her, almost like a ghost. So it's kind of like a ghost movie, but the mom, you know, isn't actually dead. She's just completely insane in an asylum. And so she's like haunted by the thought that she might mature into, you know, the same level of insanity um, and she's sent home from the school and basically sent to live um, with a, a caretaker uh, person who's sort of like, they don't really explain the, her relationship to him at first, like, is he an uncle? Is he a friend of the family? But uh, they live on this big estate. And as she goes back, her Dreams amplify and some of the things that happen, the dreams begin to manifest in real life. And there's some question as to whether or not she's actually committing murders, or are the murders being committed by some sort of specter, or is her mom escaped from the asylum? So there's all these little levels of what could be happening. And it's just a really good, tight little uh horror flick um that has all the trappings of a lot of great hammer stuff. Um, it doesn't really have, you know, there's no Cushing or Lee sort of presence in it, um, but it's it's really well made and a lot of fun, so would definitely recommend checking that one out.
0: I am sorry to say I have never seen that movie i am, uh, I'm a huge hammer fan, but when it comes to the thrillers or some of the action movies they did, like the pirate movies and whatnot i uh, you know I haven't gotten around to those yet. I mostly stick to the gothic and yeah the monster flicks, but uh I need to branch out. I need to start watching some of those others definitely so All yeah. Right, I prefer- uh,
1: Oh, sorry. No, you're, you're good. I was just gonna say I picked up this uh, Universal Hammer collection a while back for like twenty bucks on Blu-ray. Which at this point, about half of them have come out by Scream, mm. but there are still a couple on that release uh, that haven't been released yet by other labels. So that that was on there. So that's been kind of a nice little place to find uh, some cool Hammer flicks. So anyway, nice. there you go.
0: Okay, I'm about halfway through my mojito. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, What have I been watching? Um, So I will say I just watched Lovecraft Country, the pilot episode last night. Uh, Actually, I'm I'm appearing on another podcast talking about it, so I won't talk about it at length here. Safe to say it's fantastic. It is really, really excellent. It uh, does a great job of balancing the, uh, you know, kind of like the overt, horror and sci-fi you know tropes with you know the ugly racism of the era you know the 1954 Jim Crow era uh it's just which weirdly enough in a show that has appearances by Cthulhu and War of the Worlds uh spaceships and Shoggoths and you know vampires and all sorts of crazy things weirdly enough it's like the white cops and the the (laughs) You know, the uh, the racist folks who populate a, uh, you know, a diner like that's the most terrifying thing in the pilot episode. Those are the most intense sequences. And, you know, the horror is almost a relief in a way, which is, uh, you know, a really interesting route to take with the story. But I like Paul. Have you seen it yet? Uh, Did you watch the pilot?
1: I haven't watched it yet. Um, I yeah, I'm really excited to see it. I don't know why. I didn't watch it last night, Uh, (laughs) but um, it's, yeah, it's high on my list. I'm going to get to it really soon. That's pretty great.
0: And other than that, I, uh, this isn't exactly movie watching, but uh, a recent episode that I recorded for the Normal Scream show was covering uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Uh, And I found this as a fan that I, I, I. (laughs) I have these weird pockets of fandom that I'm a part of that stay dormant for a while. And then when they're reawakened, uh, they, they come roaring back to life. Like, I adored I Know What You Did Last Summer when it came out, when I was like 16 years old. And then, you know, I watched it, uh, watched the sequel, regrettably. Uh, you know, I read the Lois Duncan book. I, I was just, I rewatched the original film over and over and over again. I was a fiend for that. Uh, and, of course, it dropped during the perfect time. It was post-Scream. It was during the uh, the sort of middle of that Neo Slasher revival. Love that movie. And it's so much better than Urban Legend. Um, but... Now, wait a
1: minute. You we gonna have is. to... We we don't have have is, to... It's better. I mean, it's better.
0: It's better. well, it's it's better. Eh, I don't know. If Paul, it's better. better but no, it is better. You can say that's cool. Well, one is good and the other is Urban Legend. I, I mean, Urban Legend is
1: an amazing slasher from that time period and it ranks up with the best one, but that's fine. We can just, you know, amazingly bad. Um, but anyway, I'm calling Ryan, dude.
0: <laughs> you know, he's already been on the show once. We talked cursed and he won me over on that one, actually. But uh, I don't think it's gonna happen with Urban Legend. We he still owes me a debate. So that's got to happen at some point. But, uh, you know, we'll invite on Sam Wyman. You can come on. Maybe Alan, Do du- oh, well, no, never mind, not him. But, you know, we could have a group definitely talk about the merits or lack thereof with Urban Legend, I would think. But uh, the reason I mentioned that, when I talked to guest Tamika Jones about it, of course, I rewatched the film. And she... Yeah, I've been coming around on I Still Know What You Did Last Summer uh, a bit. And after talking with her again, I was like, you know, I'm going to give it another shot. I just rewatched it like a couple of months ago and uh, for an article that I'd written. And uh, I rewatched it. And damn it, if it didn't kind of charm me more than it ever had before. So now I have found myself falling down this rabbit hole of buying all of this I Know What You Did Last Summer merchandise. I went to Cavity Collars. <laughs> I bought a shirt. I bought two damn enamel pins. I'm not an enamel pin kind of guy, Paul. But I bought two of them. I mean, sometimes uh,
1: you just got to go with the pins. I get it. It's I, just, it just, it's up not? on.
0: There's like a Southport Slasher pin, you know, that's it's a little, cool. uh, it's a uh, Fishy the Fisherman, you know, with his hook, you know, there's yeah. one with uh, the, I know what you did last summer note. That's kind like of like, I love
1: that. Uh, it's I cool think I saw selling. that. I think you tweeted that. I think I saw it and I was like, I kind of want that pin and I don't buy pins either. I have, I have some that, you know, a horror fan just kind of accumulates enamel pins. You just yeah. kind of end up with some but um but yeah i haven't ever sort of actively sought out and bought them uh, aside from a few very specific scenarios right. but yeah i uh
0: but my my <laughs> my reignited fandom i i've gone so far as to repurchase the um Original paperback copy of I Know What You Did Last Summer that I bought right before the movie came out, which did not have the movie cover. And I actually had a completely different cover on it. Then I found a copy of the novel with the movie cover, and I bought that. Paul, I even repurchased the I Still Know What You Did Last Summer paperback that has the screenplay in it. Um, Oh. Paul, it doesn't end there. I dropped... More money than I should have in the middle of a pandemic while I'm out of work, but I dropped more money than I should have on an original hardcover, like from 1973 of I Know What You Did Last Summer, just because. So to say I'm a fan of that franchise is understating it a bit. So that's where I've been pretty much last week. Other than that, I've pretty much just been catching up with television that isn't necessarily horror per se. But uh, yeah, other than that, I'm just trying to keep busy and uh, keep my mind off the fact that the world's ending. Did you hear
1: about the cosmic... Cloud that has, like,
0: a heartbeat. Did you hear about that shit today, Paul?
1: I, I, you know what? I try to just keep on trucking. I try not to pay attention to the uh, cosmic terrors, uh, you know, What's it, shooting towards our planet. What's, what's the year up to now? We, we have the deadly virus. We yeah. have
0: the people in charge who are trying to actively kill us with said virus, I think. Mm-hmm. We have our fellow yeah. citizens who are also trying to do the same in their own delightful stupid sort of way we yeah. have uh murder hornets we have,
1: we have reanimated pig brains
0: or reanimated pig brains that can't go yeah. well That's uh great we, great sign we have fucking galactus on his way uh mm-hmm. With, mm-hmm. without benefit of silver surfer at least give a silver <laughs> surfer first fuck
1: but you have the world's most impressive i know what you did last summer collection although
0: have you seen
1: the impressive. movie a hundred times yet because your guests saw it a hundred times <laughs>
0: You listened to
1: the episode. <laughs> I
0: appreciate it. No, I have not. Of I
1: course I listened to the episode. I love the episode. It was great.
0: Thank you. Paul. Um, I don't know that I have seen any movie a hundred times. I, I really don't. I, you know, I fucking hell like 20 or 25 times would probably be my limit on my favorite
1: movie ever. So a hundred times just blows my mind. Hundreds. A lot. A hundred is a lot. I've seen, I think I have seen some cause I sleep to certain movies and things like that, but. Um, they would all be really lame on a show like this because they're not typically horror. Um, no, I mean, I love I know what you did this summer and we've talked about this, too. I've really come around on the sequel. Uh, the sequel really has it, it shocked me how much not that I not to say that I think it's like one of the great horror movies. But I went from like you said, I loathed that movie when it came out. I Same here. hated it. And now I'm kind of like, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's, kinda how it's,
0: I, it's, it's pretty charming. charming. Like, all it's, of the, it's All deep. of the same
1: problems it's that kind of I
0: had. Yeah. Know, I, it's, it's... I just, I, I, I feel like all of the problems that I had with it initially are still there. Sure. But it's everything that it gets right has now taken the, the, the forefront. I, I just, it's charming as hell to me now. I don't know why. I, but yeah, I dig it, man. I do. Uh, Benson will never not get an eye roll from me. <laughs> Ben. never Ben son <laughs> Ben's son Ben's son because I'm Ben's son his name's Ben and I'm a son hence Benson you get it and you know I will say this on the last rewatch somebody had said before they were like the thing that makes that the biggest cheat ever is the fact that they never even say his last name until that moment so hmm. It's like the fact that he says his name is Will Benson. It's like, well, who the fuck cares? Like, we've only known you as Will. Yeah. So yeah, he you know, says that's... it
1: like well, you should have figured that out. Like, is how that scene is treated. Yeah. Like, it's and so the, obvious.
0: On the rewatch, they do say his last name. They say oh, it a couple right. of times. that Yeah, oh. never. It had completely. And I never over my put hand. it together. My yeah. God first act like they throw it out there a couple of times it makes us feel even even more dumb you know wow. kind of like Rio de Janeiro you know that whole thing like Paul I'll admit the first time I watched the movie had no idea they got it wrong no <laughs> idea still feel dumb for that yeah you that's know, cool uh, it it's happens. all right Paul I'm nearly done with my mojito here uh you want to close this out is there anything else that you've seen that you would want to point people towards before we begin our show
1: um no I mean uh, I'll throw one little thing out while you finish your mojito. Um mm-hmm. last night I watched Graveyard Shift, the Stephen King adaptation from nineteen ninety. You watched the Scream Factory Blu-ray, didn't you? I did. did. You? Yeah, I did. Oh, uh, the- it great. I'll the bet the it's screen great. Factory Blu-ray because um I spend, uh, uh, I spend way too much money on Blu-rays and I buy pretty much every screen everything Screen puts out. Um, it was a great Blu-ray, it's a great release Tons of special features I'm actually kind of surprised it's not a collector's edition With how many special features they wrangled for that release um, Probably right. just the title Why right. is it that
0: they can pack those Blu-rays full of special features more than any other release might've had back oh, in yeah. the day. But if it doesn't have a slipcase with new artwork on it, they don't call it a collector's
1: <laughs> edition. What the, what the fuck is with that? Like, I don't know. I have a feeling it has something to do with the, the title itself. Like they deem the popularity of the title. Although they have claimed that certain films aren't collector's editions because they couldn't get enough special features to justify that title. Cause they typically want to have, you know, a decent collection of new special features to make it a collector's edition. But Uh, graveyard shift has a slew of special features Um, at any rate uh, the movie itself uh, I'm gonna be I had never seen it this was a first time watch for me Um, you know and I love Stephen King adaptations Um, I love the cheesy ones I like you know I like them all and this was, it was very cheesy. Uh, the the movie doesn't make a lot of sense. The monster's not really fully explained what exactly it is or how it is or why. Um, but man, is it just a good time, I think. I mean, if you can just kind of turn your brain off. Similar to the mangler in a way like because it's it, the it's, mangler is so good i know yeah it, i, love, I love the mangler but it's like th- th- it reminded me of that because it's the, it's the about line, industrial line... machinery and weird shit happening and um there's a monster i mean it it's it, it was it was good i enjoyed it i had fun
0: <laughs> there is one line in the mangler that is used
1: about seven times too many and do you know which one it is I've only seen it once, and it was when I got the Screen Factory (laughs) Blu-ray. There's, (laughs) there's that's that's a damn good Blu-ray, and that's a better treat than I thought that
0: movie would ever get. But there's this line that Ted Levine has, and it's like this recurring thing. It's I don't know if they're trying to Tom Atkins him or not, but um actually Tom Atkins in the mid '80s would have been perfect in that role, but. Yeah. It's it's something like piece of dog fuck or something like that. It's like what does that even mean? What what are you
1: talking about? You know, that movie is such a wild ride that it probably just slid off of me. Like I was so <laughs> caught up in just the bizarre fucking nature of everything about that movie. I love it Um, it so much. I
0: loved it as a kid, even when, you know, that was early days for me collecting Fango. And I remember there being kind of this negative reaction, both there and online in the early days of the horror message boards. And everyone was talking about how bad it was. And I rented it on VHS. I never got to see it on the big screen. But when I watched it, I was like, I don't, I, but this is great. Like what, what, what the hell are people talking about? This is fantastic. It's a lot of fun. So it's the, it's the best of the, it's the best kind of pre-Scream nineties horror, you yeah. know, the nineties horror could offer, I think. And uh, you know, it was a little you know, we'd moved a little beyond like eighties creature features, but that was still kind of there. And it wasn't completely cheesy, but that was still kinda there, but it's also kind of taking itself seriously. I just love the tone of a lot of those movies back during that period before everything went all meta after Scream. And I love Scream, but you know, it also it definitely changed the face of that genre for about a half a decade, but you know, everyone had always talked about how and revitalized the uh, horror uh, genre. And it's like, you know, we had six years of some pretty damn good stuff if you just want to bother looking for it. And I I would totally include the Mangler with that, I think.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, they they weren't as slick. Um, they were a little melodramatic, but they took themselves seriously. And there was a lot of attention played to creature effects and gore and... The other thing about them was they they were sort of fearless in what they were willing to do. Movies like that, like they, they there, there was no comes
0: to life and chases some. Yeah, like like there, there's is...
1: no such thing as like questioning good taste or what makes sense <laughs> if it doesn't make sense. It didn't fucking matter. Like if they had a crazy idea, for him, he was like, yeah, sure, let's fucking do it. Here's here's a million bucks. Get Toby Hooper. Go. You know, and and that's I do miss not miss. I mean, it's just, it's something I respect and appreciate about that time period. I really do think the nineties, obviously, I mean, now we're reappraising it, but it got a bad rap for so long. It um, you know, everyone would always, say, Oh, nineties horror wasn't very good. And you know, there's only a couple good horror. And now we're kind of like, Oh, there was a ton of great indie horror and there was a ton of great splatter horror. And there was meta horror and the teen cycle. And and now I feel like we look at the nineties and go, yeah, it was great, you know, but it, for I've a long time, for 20 years back.
0: For twenty yeah. years I've been waiting for people to come around on the nineties. Like we I got in been. the early part of the aughts, it was the seventies. And then I still feel like we're in the eighties. The eighties has had a good 10-year resurgence. You know, I'm ready for people to start rediscovering the nineties. Damn it. Sure. I think that's happening
1: now. You know, and I think that's that's sort of the next phase of what Scream Factory is gonna be doing. I mean, they're already sort of moving to the nineties now, obviously with their hammer cycle. It feels like scream is going farther back in time and a little bit forward in time because they've hit so many of those classic titles from the, from the eighties and seventies. Um, but anyway, no, I mean, I'm, I am, I, I'm very happy that the nineties is getting it's due. Same here, man. Same here, because that's,
0: that's the horror that I grew up with. And that was the horror that everyone sort of pissed on, you know, when I was just becoming a fan. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm ready for everyone to go back and be like, "Hey, you know what? That was actually pretty great." So. Yeah. All yeah. right, man. I think uh I am one mojito in. I'm I'm far from drunk. I'm nowhere near close to hammered, but um you know, it's been a long day and I haven't had a lot to eat, so my head's a little swimmy right now. Let's say we watch us some Revenge of Frankenstein.
1: I'm I'm ready, man. All Do
0: right, it. listeners out there, we are watching the Mill Creek Blu-ray. You can also find this movie on Paul. I believe you said it was available on Amazon Prime for four dollars. Is that right?
1: Yes, you can rent it for three ninety-nine uh, in HD, or you can buy it uh, for I think eleven ninety-nine. Um, but yeah, rental's just four bucks.
0: All right, so I'll tell you what we're going to do, whether or not you're streaming or if you're watching the Blu-ray, we are going to move to the very first frame, which is uh that lovely lady from Columbia and her what, – what the hell is that? Is that a torch, Paul? Is that a what, – what is she holding? Uh I think it's a torch. Is it a torch? But it's – you know, it doesn't look like any torch. Yeah, We're going to have words with her later and see exactly what the hell her deal is. Anyway! Torch. So, listeners out there, listeners and Paul, we are going to press start on that lady, on that first frame, here in 5, four, three,
1: two, one. And here we go. That is a shiny damn torch. Very shiny. Do you want to know the rules of the drinking game? <laughs> I do. Holy shit, yeah, you better knock them out, man. <laughs> Don't Get it worry, out we've there got before a, the guillotine drops. we got man. like two minutes of guillotine, so we're, we're pretty good. Peter um, Cushing, and is there any greater setup for any movie ever than Peter Cushing in? It's it's the perfect um, setup, I think. But uh so the, there's going to be three basic rules um, that we're going to have, similar uh, to last week. I can hear the the bell. Oh, shit. Yeah, I probably need to mute this. I was like, Am I hearing things? This is very strange. Okay. Um, All right. So, uh, we're going to keep the stair rule that we had last Uh week. Because, one, this film reuses a ton of sets from uh, (laughs) Horror of Dracula because it was shot like a week later. (laughs) Oh, you're shitting me. So, no, it was shot like. A week or two after that movie so many of the sets are just like sort of as they were just redressed Beautiful. um but anyway so there are there's a lot of stairplay i will say there's not nearly as much stairplay from what i could tell but we are keeping that rule um i'm adding that two new rules like the weirdest one. sexual fetish sort of thing like stairplay
0: i like it i like it a lot i think vigo mortensen um, okay. and maria bella did that in the history of violence i'm just throwing that out there
1: <laughs> all right so oh we're missing the word Uh, The next is, uh, anytime an article of clothing is taken on or off, uh, we drink. So that could be gloves, that could be a jacket, that could be a hat. During stair play? Uh, Not just stair play, just in general. Mm -hmm. And then finally, and this is my particular bombshell, anytime a character enters or exits a room... Does this count, what we
0: just saw? That counts,
1: and there's two. So Son a guy came them. in, and one guy, And let me tell you, Jigs, this rule is dangerous as hell. <laughs> because all people do in Hammer movies in every scene is enter a room.
0: <laughs> all right, I've had two drinks, damn
1: it. Well, you told me once that uh, you were disappointed that I didn't get you hammered. So my goal this time uh, was really, really good. Fair.
0: Okay, so how long was peter cushing walking how long was that quarter leading him to the guillotine that he was able to grow a full beard in between the last
1: movie and this one i mean i get a cup like a week a week long Is it, can you measure how we, oh he just went upstairs Fuck. two people went upstairs do you have to drink twice that,
0: that, no no paul no <laughs>
1: This is one of the only Frankenstein movies to have, if not, is it the only that has direct continuity? I think it's the only one.
0: Of the Frankenstein films, uh, possibly, yeah. Although there is a later one where, uh, I think it's after Must Be Destroyed. Uh, in the very next movie, his hands are burned. So we think that's okay. like the fiery finale. But otherwise, yeah, it's always kind of like, yeah, sometimes pass and he's Victor Frankenstein. And, you know, he does. And here we go. Yeah. Holy shit. Here's a hammer pub because every hammer film
1: needs. a pub. They always got to start early on in a pub with the townsfolk kind of just shooting the shit, you know, giving you a little bit of lay of the land of what's going on. The gossip. If
0: this shit weren't called getting hammered with hammer, I think it should be called the hammer pub.
1: The I'm hammer pub. Might gonna, be a better name. <laughs>
0: I'm gonna open a bar once the world gets back to normal, if that ever happens. If we make it through this fucking year, I'm gonna open a bar in Sarasota oh, called the Hammer Club. I'll go
1: in on it with you. I'll be a like your co person, co bar person. I don't know what that would be, like Co-um? an investor or yeah, sure. that's it.
0: We're gonna line the walls with hammer posters. Where uh, everything's that's, gonna be. Oh my god, that'd be great. <laughs> that would be a
1: really cool bar. And I'm gonna serve nothing but themed drinks and no beer. Yep. Okay. Wait a minute. Wait. I take that no back. Beer, Paul. No beer. Oh yep. No yep. Paul, no beer. This movie was pre-sold in America off of a poster. They James Carreras took a like a poster they made to America and pre-sold it without having even written a script. Uh, and Sangster was like not super excited about writing. Uh, follow-up because he said he killed frankenstein he's like frankenstein's dead and uh he said uh he had i think he had like a couple weeks and he's like you'll think of something and that was that like he just had to write a movie
0: i love that he's dead we didn't see him die
1: he got his head cut off stitch it back on i i think it's uh it's a testament to what that man can accomplish though because it's a pretty like thoughtful sequel all things considered
0: absolutely I, I, you know, this sounds like it was a uh, do you want it good or Tuesday kind of situation. And, you yes. know, sometimes Sangster can fucking do
1: both. Yeah. Where does this one rank for you amongst the uh, Frankenstein sequels? You know, I got it. Here's the thing this is going to sound like I'm sliding
0: the movie, and I'm not. This is one of the lesser Frankenstein movies for me, but. I still love it. So it should tell you how much I love the Frankenstein cycle and every single one of the movies that I could say that this is one of the lesser ones. And yet it is still a great movie. Like I would rank it down there with. Look, I think horror Frankenstein is probably the least in the franchise. Sure. And I love that movie. I love (laughs) Ralph Bates's performance. I love it. I love its vein of dark humor. I love the look of it like every other horror Hammer horror film. I, I adore that movie. I would put Revenge of Frankenstein just above that. But just because it falls to, close to the bottom of my list, that doesn't mean that I think it's lesser Hammer. I just think it's lesser Frankenstein, which is still better than many other movies of this period and maybe period. But yeah, I – I love this movie, man. I love the entire Frankenstein cycle. And honestly, you just put Peter Cushing in that role and I'm grinning ear to ear.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I mean, for me, it might be a little bit higher up. I go back and forth. Um, I I think the biggest issue I have with this movie, and again, yeah, I love them all, you know, all those disclaimers. I think this one feels the closest to the first one. Like, it feels like it's trying to recreate that one a little bit, like it even... You know, it it changes a few elements, you know, his uh, like Hans being sort of supportive of what he's doing versus, you know, Paul, the first one trying to stop him the whole time, you know, but it still has a very similar structure in terms of what it's doing and how it all sort of turns out. Um, I really like the idea of him starting like a hospital for the less fortunate and masking his selfish. Aims in charity, I think, is a really (laughs) cool, fucked up element that I really appreciate about this film. Um, that also sort of like I think really paints a picture of his morality because he convinces himself that he's doing good things in the world. He's like, Well, I'm doing good in the world, and I'm also accomplishing what I want to accomplish, so it's a win win, you know, like he's sort of like, can how he convinces himself. That what he's doing is right. Can we appreciate just one thing about
0: Cushing here in about five seconds? This look that he gives. Eh. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. That to me, that moment, like everything up until this point, I agree with you. Like it feels like a natural extension from The Curse of Frankenstein. But when he finally gives that look where you're finally introducing like Humor into it. Not that there wasn't in *Curse of Frankenstein*, but he sure as hell wasn't the source of it, you know. And what I love about this movie is that we have moved beyond thinking of Victor Frankenstein as a straight-up villain, and now he's more of an anti-hero. Like he's, yeah, he he's not a good man, but you know what? He's the only thing that we have in this movie that comes close to a hero or a protagonist. Like most movies would probably position, uh, is it Cleve, or well, let's just call him Hans most people would position him as the entry point. He would be the hero. He would be the guy like sort of leading us into the story and introducing us to Frankenstein and taking us through all the terrible events. And then he would stand in for us being like, my God, no, what is he doing? You know, A- kind of like, um, Oh, uh, how the hell did I forget his name from the previous movie? I haven't had that many mojitos, but, um, instead, no, I mean, Frankenstein is the lead fucking character in this movie. Full yeah. stop. And I love that. I love that progression. And it only, you know, his arc to a certain point only continues to go up from here. You know, Evil of Frankenstein, he is something approaching a hero. By the time you get to Frankenstein created woman, he's damn sympathetic, you know, and then, you know, we start to slide back down that mountain on the other side. Sure. But uh, I, I love that moment. And I love this movie and I love his performance in it. And I love that he doesn't just play the same notes as the previous movie. And whether or not that was in the script or if that was something he brought to it. Whoever's responsible, I I love the progression for that character.
1: Me too, and I, that's something I appreciate about this franchise the most. I would say is is Peter Cushing's sort of internal continuity to his character because I think his character's progression throughout each of them like logically evolves each movie, regardless of whether the movie decides to keep continuity with the previous when I saw this one I was really excited to see how the other ones were going to continue that continuity so I was actually a little disappointed the first time I saw uh uh, evil right evil's next step isn't it yes um and I was disappointed that they didn't keep that continuity because I was like oh man they're really like giving us a path and establishing a mythology like okay now he can move people's brains which is something that like this movie also feels pretty influential to like other movies that came later on um you know the idea of like taking someone's like brain and putting it in another body a healthier body and like extending your life or changing your um you know your identity in that way um how invasive that is and and how frankenstein is bolstered by the idea of it and what that what the implications of it are um i was excited to see that be carried forward but i think the the future movies carry that hubris forward even if they don't carry that plot point. No, I agree. And I think it is interesting too. I don't know. <laughs> I, I doubt this is intentional.
0: Maybe I'm even reading too much into it. Nobody ever considered it at all. They just but entered I think,
1: the room, by the way, those uh, ladies. And now she's taking off clothes. So that's clothing. So that's multiple drinks. Did Did anybody walk down the steps coming in? They both did.
0: All right. So we're doing one for that. That's three drinks. <laughs> I
1: don't know. I'm telling you, every time there's a, like, a new scene, you're oh. going to drink a bunch because people are going to walk in the room. They're going to take off their hats.
0: <laughs> Maybe I'm jumping too far ahead here, but spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen The Frankenstein Cycle. But, you know, uh, for the first few movies, we in Curse of Frankenstein, he starts out as a bastard. He is a straight up villain. Uh, he's yeah. only concerned yes. with uh, the pursuit of his goal. When we get to the second movie, like he's still a bit of a bastard, but he's kind of likable and he's not a straight up black hat in that, in this film. By the time we get to the third and fourth movies, he's middle aged at that point. He's softened a bit and he is a bit more, you know, kinder and gentler, even heroic at times, you know? And then once we get to the later films, he turns back into being a bastard, and it's only when he's older. And I think there's something interesting to be said about the fact that, you know, when he's a young man, he knows who he is, and he knows who he want, what he wants, and he knows what he's willing to do to get it. And those edges are kind of softened over the years, and it's not until he becomes older and he hasn't achieved his life's dreams. Mm-hmm. He begins to become desperate. And then that is like a direct connection from the older man to the younger man. You know what? He's still he hasn't had the luxury of achieving his dreams. And so as a result, he becomes, you know, he's he's kind of like a trapped animal in a way. And so he becomes even worse, I think, in some of those later films than he ever was to begin with. And I think that's all due to the fact that, you know, he's nearing the end of the line and he still hasn't achieved what he needs to. And I think that's an interesting through line between young man and old man. Uh, you know, and maybe arguably he was always a villain. Maybe he was always a bastard. He just afforded himself the opportunity to try and play hero and to try and appear to be a kind man in those middle movies that maybe he really never was, you know, but again, yeah. once you, once you introduce desperation uh, into it, then he becomes a room. Then we get the real Frankenstein again that we only ever saw in the first film and drink.
1: Yeah. Um, no i i i agree uh i think i think that's another piece too is that his character is so interesting because his brilliance is undeniable right he he is he's constantly referred to throughout the films as like one of the most brilliant men on the planet people who ever lived and yet he he chooses to apply this brilliance to something That does not service mankind, even though he believes it is servicing mankind. And the tragedy of it is that how much good he could do, like even when he's barely trying, like in this movie, he becomes like the the person by which this entire town revolves. All the people, you know, the medical council hates him, but the whole town loves him. You know, like rich mothers are trying to marry their daughters to him. You know, they uh, they think he's great. And he's he's half assed sort of being their doctor. (laughs) But (laughs) but that's how brilliant he is. Even when he's only half trying, he impresses everybody because he's so good at what he does. If he actually put his mind to it, the impact he could make on the world, I mean, is you can't even fathom it. He um, needs he needs Spider-Man telling Have you ever seen that panel from the
0: comic book with Spider-Man facing off against the weird dinosaur creature. Oh, I think I have seen Is it like a meme that goes around. It is, but it's actually from a comic book. And Spider-Man counters him with like as brilliant as you are, you know, you can cure cancer. You can save the world. And this scientist slash dinosaur creature is like, I don't want to cure cancer. I want to turn people into dinosaurs. You know, <laughs> it reminds me of Frankenstein. It's like, you know, he can try yeah. and convince himself that what he's doing is best for humanity. But really, he just likes playing with corpses. Yeah. He likes the charge of reanimating people and doing what he considers as creating life. He's brilliant. He's arguably the most brilliant, you know, person who would have walk the earth at this time and yet no he just wants to do what he wants to do his brilliance is kind of wasted on him in a way because really for all of it how much does he achieve
1: yeah yeah i love um the the council too that hates him and is constantly trying to undermine him and and how flippantly he treats them you know he <laughs> makes them wait in the <laughs> ward you know there's things he does that you can kind of root for because you know nobody likes a stuffy group of old white men trying to tell everyone what to do you know like they, they're they're so clearly like someone you want to you want them to be the villain even though frankenstein's like chopping up homeless people to make a monster or like some other weird body you're still kind of like yeah yeah screw that council you know they're trying to control frankenstein and kick him out like and and the fact that he makes them wait in the ward with the the less fortunate and they're all kind of disgusted by that like oh in the ward you know where whereas like they're doctors that's the place that they should be you know that's that's what they're there to do is to service people who need help so i think the movie sort of comments on not just you know Frankenstein doing wrong things, but it's also talking about the institution that he's challenging, um, because some of what he's challenging does need to be challenged. It
0: is funny too. Then, like, what? I wonder how much of Peter Cushing's Frankenstein made it. He's taking to... off
1: gloves, taking off gloves, right there. Does that
0: count? Yeah, that's an article of clothing.
1: Fucking hell! <laughs> and he's entering a room. Shit. Entering a room. Yeah. <laughs> And technically speaking, they're taking the off hall, an apron. You know? Drink again. Oh shit <laughs> I told you. It's horrible. I have to pour another drink. You're gonna kill Let's us, Paul. I I warned you and you told me that we we're supposed to get hammered. It's funny. So.
0: You're, you're drinking like your pouring of the alcohol coincides with him running water on screen. It was see, I'm, kind of amazing. This is this is four D guys. This is four D. <laughs> But I'm wondering, like, how much of Victor Frankenstein, as Cushing played him, made it into Hannibal Lecter, because the two of them are both anti-heroes. They're both like yeah. charming. They're darkly humorous. And admittedly, towards entirely different goals, but they see everybody as meat. You know, there's there's he he has no interest in humanity beyond what he can mold with it, you know? And uh I mean with Lecter what 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 he can eat, I assume. But you know, it's it's and yet why do we like him? If that's the case, why do we find him so damn likable? Why do we find Hannibal Lecter so likable?
1: Uh well, I mean, if you're asking me, I think Cushing and Lecter, well, uh, well, Cushing and uh, Hopkins, I I think with Cushing, part of it is he's just so damn charming and he has so much charisma. Um he you know, part of his character is that he he kind of blinds people to who he really is you know um by by way of that charisma and his intelligence lector does something similar where lector is an incredibly intelligent person and he's able to read people so well that he feeds them what's going to sort of captivate them and that captivation is going to sort of usurp their fear right so like clarice starling you know would isn't as focused on her fear of Lecter, she is her interest in what he has to offer her, not just in terms of the case she's investigating, but like the insight he can provide into her person that might make her better or help her exercise her own demons. Like she can't deny that he is tapping into something real and raw. Um, and it, I think it's that ability that sort of, as a viewer makes him such an interesting character and you don't want interesting characters to go away. And villains typically you want to go away. You want them to be defeated. You don't like them. You're not interested in them or what they have to say, you know? So I think both of them kind of fit that bill. You know, that was definitely
0: the case up until the Hammer movies, I think. You know, I Dracula is somebody to be defeated, even if you found him at any point somewhat sympathetic. You know, Frankenstein might be sympathetic, too, but he's also scary. And yay when he's defeated in the original Universal movies. And, yeah. you know, the same could be true for any number of them. Um the hammer movies are the first movies I think that really position the monsters as being the protagonists. And I do count Victor Frankenstein as a monster more so than his creation ever was. And I wonder how that progression from universal to hammer might actually, and you've talked about this with the uh, Dracula movies too. The Dracula movies are essentially slashers. I wonder how much this approach informed like slasher movies in the 80s, because much like you said, we want the villain to go away. We're not interested in them talking at length or, you know, spending that much time with them. And there's something meant to be defeated later on. And yet you can't say that's the case with Freddy Krueger or Jason or Michael or Leatherface. Like we want to see more of those guys. We want to spend time with them. They're the reasons that we're showing up in the first place, not the protagonists. So I wonder how much Hammer has to play in that and their approach to... What should be their villains, but wind up being
1: their heroes? That's a really good point. And I think they definitely, I mean, <clears throat> in my eyes, they changed the perception of the horror franchise, I think. Because before, you know, certainly the Universal Classic monsters existed within their own sort of grand connected franchise. But those movies, Became progressively sillier in some respects um, and more about just bringing all of those creatures on stage to share a story together rather than sort of creating a sort of story catharsis for any one of them. Stairs. Oh, shit. Door. Yeah, yeah, there you go. See what I'm talking about? Stairs and door. Basically the beginning of any scene. Oh, my God. Another door. And he just came in. Zack out. Of course that counts. He's a totally different character. Did he come in or did he leave? He, I don't scene? know. Oh, my Stairs. God. Stairs.
0: Going to be seeing a lot of that staircase,
1: Paul. I told you, man. I told you. This is what happens when you tell me to get you hammered. <laughs> the clothing thing <laughs> was bad enough. And the uh, entering and exiting a room. I mean, and just, here they go. Room.
0: <laughs> oh, wait, he hasn't walked in yet. We might be okay. Ah, uh, son of a bitch. There he goes. Uh, I see playing. stairs. I see stairs, Paul. <laughs> ah, damn it. Two drinks. Oh, my
1: God. And we said these are like decent sized drinks. Yep. You're going to like completely Ooh. change my tolerance ability. <laughs> oh, my God.
0: I don't care about your tolerance. I just hope
1: I choose an <sighs> alcoholic drinks. You could just throw away well, beer, Paul. That's dude. Beer is delicious. I'm going to, it's terrible. Gonna you. you're going to have to let me pick beer again someday. You're going to have to
0: No, Hey, you can pick beer any, any, any time
1: I'm, I'm going to choose when, when it's time, I'm going to choose Pump King, The Imperial stout. <laughs> um, and we're going to, we're going to do that shit together. And it's
0: okay. Then the next week I'll do uh Jack a blast.
1: Okay, I'm in. <clears throat> Maybe that'll be one of our Halloween episodes or whatever. Absolutely. We're getting close. We are. I'm excited. Did you Even take another drink? Halloween. I did, just for fun. Just for funsies. Wow. I'm getting into it. This arm. All right. Oh, so God. I
0: love how they tease out You know, when you see the arm with the tattoo at first, you're thinking like, oh, clearly this is going to be a part of our new creature, but it's not. Right. And I love how they keep teasing the progression. It's like, what is that arm for? This is this is Chekhov's severed arm. Like, what 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 are we going to be seeing this as part of? And then I love the eventual reveal of what it is. And I wish it's something they I wish they kept that tattoo
1: throughout the rest of the films. That would have been fantastic i actually when i first saw this film i assumed that was the case i was like oh cool he'll have that tattoo now you know and it it was almost going to be like almost like uh jason Voorhees mask you know how every time something happens to it his mask is like a little affected now it's got this little like knife wound in it and it's burned over here you know like how how they kind of kept that going i was like that would be really cool with victor's body you know his physical form if it was always altered based on the events of the previous film or even the scar around the top of his head i i love laboratories in hammer
0: films paul yes. i see spinny things i see bubbling things i see flashing oh. lights History just makes me in happy. general
1: i was trying to come up with drinking rules around the laboratory but the problem is they're not in it enough like you could you could have a lot of drinks all at once in certain scenes, but he doesn't spend enough time in here for it to really be worthy of a one of three rules. Fair enough. Wait, are we
0: doing that? Is it are we gonna try and limit it to three rules? Because I'm okay with that, but
1: No, I mean I just I liked how you did it last week. I thought having less so that way like you could remember them all. <laughs> Seems yeah, like the, a smart we, idea. Week <laughs> one, we I was just kind
0: of like, am, "Am I supposed to be drinking now? I don't know."
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, I apologize. I <laughs> well, went, hey, we're we I went a little overboard, you know. It was
0: alcohol's awesome. involved. It's new, like it's this is a lump of clay that we're shaping week by exactly. week.
1: Exactly. I I think you know it was a fun episode. We got it done. Uh, this is uh, I like the eyes separated. I think that's a fun thing.
0: Is the hand afraid of the fire or is it trying to touch it?
1: No, it's afraid. I feel like it's afraid. I feel like it's pulling back. And he's trying to sort of... Because the because the eyes can see the fire and they're connected to the hand. Well, the brain, essentially, which is controlling those body parts. I actually really like that method of illustrating what it is he's trying to accomplish and how he's trying to understand the human body and suggest that the brain is independent of the body and can be removed and reshaped and reformed to me it's an interesting sort of fountain of youth immortality story it's like how can we bring the brain to a place where it's not dependent on something that's going to fail it you know and i think that speaks to frankenstein's inherent genius is for somebody that intelligent and that capable his biggest fear is going to be that the thing that provides him that intelligence is is going to go away, which is his mind. And the only way to preserve his mind eternally is to figure out a way to escape his his inevitably failing mechanical form, you know.
0: No, I hear you. Sorry, I'm just I'm waiting for somebody to pull off an article
1: of clothing. Um <laughs> It's it, our, our commentaries are now more about like fear of the next, <laughs> like, oh God, there's stairs. Who's going to use them?
0: <laughs> Maybe nobody. Maybe we'll get out of this. Oh shit. There they go.
1: I really like his relationship with Hans too. I, I, I think it's really satisfying, especially after, cause we talked about with, um, it was Paul, right? He has my name.
0: Yeah. Paul and I think,
1: yeah, like it, I, I'm kind of frustrated with Paul by the end of that first film because I'm kind of like, man, he like you basically raised him like this is kind of on you in a way. And you should have more invested in this this man who you, you raised. Like in this movie, I like that Hans is kind of respectful of him and in awe of him. Um,
0: and it's a different kind of father son relationship, too. And in the, in the first movie. Paul was kind of the father figure and, you know, Victor was the, uh, you know, the wayward son and the father ultimately kind of rejects and throws away his son. And I wonder if that doesn't play into this relationship a bit where Victor is all too willing this time around to kind of take a, uh, you know, a student or a son under his wing and be a better father than his own was to him in a sense. And, yeah, I uh, agree. and I agree. it pays off for him, Yeah, you know, I does. mean, yeah, in, in arguably Hans here is a better surgeon than Frankenstein himself ever was. I mean, he certainly had the most successful uh, resurrection in the entire franchise.
1: I agree. And and that's why, again, I was really excited because I'm like, Oh Hans, I, I figured Hans would be like a recurring character. He should have been really this movie. I, I actually really love this movie and I wish it had spawned, you know, a franchise that reflected this continuity. Um, And I don't know. It's weird. Isn't it weird that they decided to make a sequel to the first one where whereas it has a definitive ending. And then this one has an open ended ending that would have been very easy to sequelize. You know, you wouldn't have had to do any weird dances around the story like it just sets it up. And yet that's the one where they're like, oh, we can't sequelize this. We got to go in a totally different direction and reboot it. You know, it's, it's just bizarre. Yeah, I would love an explanation for that as to why they felt, you know, I know the evil
0: of Frankenstein is kind of like, okay, Universal is becoming a bit more lax on, you know, what they don't want us to do, like, you know, and so maybe they felt like they always wanted to do a version of the James Whale film, and now they were finally able to, so they're like, oh, we'll just kind of forget those first two movies, and now Victor is our hero, you know, but it still doesn't go... Is the continuity dodgy? Sure, but you can still believe that he's the same man, you know, and this is just sometime later. Uh, But I agree with you. I would I would love to see these two guys just continue on throughout the rest of the franchise. Imagine if that had been the case, if we had gotten four or five movies in and Hans is still there and then Paul comes back into the picture. How would those two spark? Oh, yeah, that would have been great.
1: That would have been really good. The shitty
0: father I, uh, figure and the dutiful son,
1: you know. I like, always wanted Paul to come back and sort of be like a little bit put in his place, <laughs> you know, like a, like uh, he should have helped him and he should have been a better friend and father. Um OK, I've seen these things
0: before, but what the hell is on her hands?
1: I. Some is it, it a hand warmer, warmer or mink? I don't know. Oh, it's someone a, entered your room. Enter the room. Oh, oh, no, here we go.
0: Gulp. Okay, on to the next glass, which grades. is <laughs> really tall.
1: Again, the costuming in this movie is really impressive, and beautiful, and ornate. Costuming.
0: Like this is yeah. This I mean, we we could,
1: we could dedicate a little bit of time. I mean, I feel like every episode at this point, because of who it is, we talk about Terrence Fisher and how great his direction is. Um, but we should probably mention it. His direction is great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, it, it feel. I think he would probably appreciate that though, because you know what? He, by God, he deserved it. Movie for movie, that guy gave us films that were wonderfully atmospheric, beautifully photographed. I mean, the sets are amazing, the costumes are perfection, and he did it. On a relatively low budget. And yet he is. You know. And I'm not knocking any of the directors that followed in his footsteps. uh, Because there are many that did great things. Sure. But this is the guy. Who set the template. For what Hammer Horror is. And he did it. Before Hammer Horror was ever a thing. You know. And so I can just. I can watch these early movies. And it's great to be watching them all in order. Because I've never done that before. I've watched the cycles in order. I've never watched Hammer Horror, period, in order. But, sure. you know, so it's fascinating to see, like, how damn deaf the director he was this early on and what he was able to give us and what he was able to put in place for other, you know, future generations to follow. He's just brilliant. And I think he's the unsung hero in a way. I mean, anybody who knows Hammer Horror knows Terrence Fisher, and yet I think, you know, the genre as a whole, I think, would be better off if we recognized what the guy's accomplishments were considerable accomplishments were. And I don't think, you know, many fans do necessarily. I don't hear his name mentioned as often as say some of those guys who directed some of the early universal movies or any of the later seventies, eighties, nineties, horror movies. And yet by stairs. God, I'll
1: go ahead and say it stairs, jacket, stairs and jacket. All right. Two drinks. I'm sorry. I feel bad interrupting when you have like a really good thought going, but no, no. I want you to, I
0: want you. To. That's, that's what we do. But no, Terrence Fisher, I think, is an unsung hero of horror. And uh, fucking hell, he's putting on clothes and... Yeah, I got to got...
1: by the way. when he In one shot, he was at the bottom stairs. The next shot, he was at the top. And yeah, they left the room and put on jackets. Okay, got those drinks in. But yeah, Terrence Fisher,
0: fantastic director. I wish more people recognized that. And I don't think
1: nearly enough do. I agree. Um, so I'm pouring another drink. So that's what you're hearing. This is... Real life podcasting folks. Um, <laughs> oh, can you me hear go. me
0: okay? I've kind of slumped against my couch right now. <laughs> so I didn't know if my audio was carrying properly enough. Okay.
1: You're good. You're good. I can I can hear you okay. Um, oh my god, they're all putting on jackets. What is that? No, they're taking off jackets. He's putting on a diff he took off a jacket and is now putting on a different jacket.
0: I don't know. So how I don't many know if that two is. drinks
1: or what, but I'm gonna drink for it.
0: All right, I want to. I want to drink. Oh, I see gloves going on. Okay, oh, at least what's drink. going on. At oh shit!
1: Okay. I told you, man. This isn't. I'm not fucking around this time. <laughs> like
0: I am. I am. Many, I don't know if I have enough mojito mix for this.
1: Uh, <laughs> holy shit! That would be awesome if you ran out of the drink. <laughs> like, not more than enough. A didn't buy nearly <laughs> enough. But going in and out of rooms rule when I was watching this movie, I was like, oh my god. Like it was like this epiphany moment where I also was like, I might kill us, but
0: it's like they're they're film stage plays. That's all these guys I do is know, enter and, and
1: exit. I, I, I never I stage, it's stage light the stairs. Like, you don't think about it, but then when you start paying attention, like all they fucking do in every scene is walk in and out of rooms and then talk to each other. <clears throat> God, that's such a great shot. Like the, the lighting and him through the glass. On him looking at what he's going to become God, and being so, so excited. It's so creepy and affecting. Yeah, it's a yeah, guy Terrence looking. looking I, if if I, optimistic he would rank up top. I love Terrence Fisher.
0: He's brilliant. He's, and he's so damn smart. And yeah, There is something tragic about that shot, too, where it's like.
1: So tragic.
0: This guy is looking forward so much to his future I mean, and ridding
1: himself of so this. Yeah. I know you're talking about something really serious. <laughs> Taking off a face mask, I think, too. <laughs> that's an article. Oh! Let's just hope there's no stairs in the surgery.
0: Oh, anyway. But yeah, that shot where he's looking up so optimistically at this new body and ridding himself of affliction that has followed him, you know, since one assumes birth or close enough to it. And yet we, as horror fans know that this is not going to go well for him.
1: Right. Of course it can't. You know what I found out when I was reading about this movie? Oh, this shot, by the way, was a very contentious shot with the BBFC commission. Sorry, uh,
0: did I say that out loud? Holy shit. Sorry. What'd
1: you say? Never mind. Uh, But no, there's a funny story with it in that they were told in no uncertain terms that they had to remove that shot and Hammer promised them that they would. And then Hammer just didn't remove the shot, <laughs> which I didn't know you could get away with. And it's they like just craven shit, man. And I they just it. did. It. They just said, "Yeah, we'll do that." And then they fucking released the movie, and nothing ever came from it. But the the commission board was always like super pissed off about it. I mean, which came back to bite them in the ass in the early '60s, because then the commission board like really fucking hammered hammered them. No pun intended. <laughs> jumping ahead but yeah this was this was the time when hammer was just like really pissing off the ratings board left and right and this was a movie that did it in fact i think um did you hear i was reading i think it was like a a book i had gotten but uh they talked about creating a new uh category for the film because you know they had categories like general audience categories and things They actually suggested a new category based on this film called For Sadists Only. What? Like, real thing that happened. Holy shit. (laughs) And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, I would be the monster kid in the
0: 60s, like, actively sneaking into every FSO rated movie ever.
1: For Sadists Only? Like, what do you think they'd say to human centipede? Jesus Christ. Like, this is nothing, you know, is part of it. And it's also, like, really well done. Anyway, uh, sorry. Well, I'm you know, I, it's funny that you say that because I've always wondered, like,
0: I, hearing that people collapsed, passed out at the sight of Lon Chaney's uh, uh, unveiling in the Phantom of the Opera, right? Sure. Like, sure. Yeah. It's hard to imagine these days somebody having that reaction to it. Yeah, and then, right. yeah, you, you you get like four sadists only for Hammer horror movies, which seem positively quaint now. Now, what would happen, do you think, if you could pluck one of those audience members out of, say, the mid-1920s and drop them into the present day and set them down in front of a Saw sequel? Oh. Might it just straight up kill them? <laughs> <laughs>
1: would Depends it on just... their age. <laughs> do they would have it... a heart condition? <laughs> it might kill them dead in their chair. Yeah. You well, know? there was a time where I didn't believe some of that. I was like, oh, that's just advertising. But then I've talked to people who were in audiences at that time and that claim that they saw that happen. Like, uh, I think my my dad told me once he he was in a theater watching The Exorcist and a person passed out.
0: OK, you know, I'm, and I'm going to tell you a story. because yeah, I love telling the story. I worked at a movie theater for much longer than I should have. Um And I always thought that was bullshit. I'm like, look, no matter how frightening something is, (laughs) can you, can you jump? Can you scream? Can you hop in your chair? You know, if something's scary on screen, sure. But straight up passing out, I call bullshit. No way. Right. Yeah. Saw three opening weekend. Three nights in a row. First 10 minutes every time. Now I previewed saw three. I previewed all of the saw movies. I made it a point to saw three. I, (laughs) I broke my ankle when I was a kid playing um, baseball. Right. So I know what that feels like. And I know what it feels like to, to walk on a broken ankle. And it's, it's horrible, right? The opening of Saw three has a character taking half of the top of a toilet and smashing his ankle to glue in order to pull his foot free from a chain, right? Yeah. It made me nauseous, right? Sure. And nothing in those movies, nothing ever sickened me, but that did. Then the movie opened. For Thursday
1: night previews. Taking his jacket night, off. Shit. Jacket's off. Okay. Sorry. So I watched I it like six... I'm no, sorry. you're
0: fine. I... I... <laughs> I feel so I, was, <laughs> I watched it at 6 p.m. on a Thursday. Now, yeah. I was there for that midnight show. So Thursday okay. midnight show for all three Friday, Saturday, three different guys, three different showings, same 10 minutes. Three dudes passed out. My God, there was for the longest time, about a half decade, night number two, a guy made it up the steps feeling queasy because of that very scene. Collapsed and put a dent. I'm sorry, two dents from his head and his hand into our back wall of that auditorium. Wow! Yeah, we really? had to call. We had to call an ambulance for a dude, Paul. There was one guy. That's that,
1: insane.
0: And I wasn't. I was there for one of them after the fact. The other one, I was, not I think Saturday night, I wasn't. Thursday night, that midnight showing, there was a dude who collapsed. I was the manager. I was called down. I helped the guy to his feet and he's like, no, man, no, I don't know what happened. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's completely cool. Oh. I'm good. I'm, um, 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 and then he collapsed a second time all because Jesus. Of that. Fantasy. so after that, I was like, you know what? I believe it. Anytime anybody says that somebody collapsed or do a horror movie, I can't call bullshit
1: yeah. now. That's crazy. Uh, they just entered a room while you're talking. I just didn't want to interrupt that time. Well, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy maybe is about to enter a room i can't tell he's peeking.
0: yeah i laughed during that and it shot mojito up my nose so i'm oh no not (laughs) happy not happy oh i snorted it burns even more paul oh god
1: oh no i feel particularly i should have just said something when it happened see this is what happens when i try to be like i'm just making wrong decisions left and right no, who is this eavesdropping sons of bitches? Like, it's, he's just... That guy's, a... that guy's the guy that works in the little shitty, you know, ne'er-do-well hospital he has. I don't like and, him. Well, you're not really supposed to like him. Oliver Twist villain-looking motherfucker. Yeah, he wants some more.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, we should probably talk about what's happening on the screen. I apologize. <laughs> probably.
1: Uh, good in this commentary <laughs> oh god sorry sorry listeners we're, we're uh you know halfway through the film when you have these kinds of rules this is when the the real drinking starts happening and um well
0: yeah our our, our usefulness as commentators is gonna fade at about the halfway point just bear warning does that count kind of as taking off clothing
1: i'm gonna count it Take it
0: you didn't have to count it
1: i wasn't going to but you mentioned it so here we are all right lesson learned <clears throat> Best not to bring it up uh you know one thing i found out about this movie that i didn't know is it was released in the u.s as a double bill with curse of the demon which is uh, a weird to to feature
0: both great movies but not complimentary not at all
1: like they're two totally different things um tonally especially but man do i love curse of the demon it's one oh, of my God. favorite movies of that time i've done it i did another podcast on that particular film at one point do you like the final shot of the demon do you want to see the demon or do you wish they'd left it to the imagination i like the demon shot Okay, personally i like it i think it i think it works i think it i think it, it really i actually like it at the beginning So you're like of the Uh, Stuart Gordon Guillermo
0: del Toro school of no motherfuckers more. I think
1: you need, well, I think it depends. I think in a movie like that, you need to deliver. I think you need a moment of delivery for all of the buildup. You know, I'm, I'm cool with the psychological piece, but I also just think that the demon looks really cool. I think it's a really neat demon. I think it's, I like how they shot it. I think it looks really creepy. Um, I think it look it's very effective. Um, I also think it raises the stakes and it also lets the audience know that this asshole who's telling everyone they're wrong. The whole movie is is himself wrong. And I think that makes his story much more interesting, personally. But um,
0: if we removed him, though, if we just played it on people's reactions by that point there would be ambiguity there in the sense that we wouldn't know if, you know, certain characters were telling the truth all along or not. And I wonder if the movie doesn't suffer a little bit for that because it so concretely comes down on one side. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. I love that movie.
1: Well, I, 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 yes. I mean, some uh, ambiguity is always good. And that would definitely make the question of, is this happening or not more interesting? But I think what the movie's trying to do is more about not, is this real or not? it's more, Um, how a person like reacts and treats the supernatural world around them. So like somebody trying to take advantage of it versus someone trying to disprove it versus someone who's honoring it, um, what the ultimate outcome of, of those decisions might be, you know, so, so you, if you have somebody who's trying to sort of use it to their advantage, like ultimately it's going to bite them in the ass, you know what I mean? Like, so you still have sort of a morality tale, Um, And I I think that's more what it's trying to do versus like create some sort of like question around, is this happening or not? But so what you're saying
0: is, is you're okay with seeing Christine drag the tail at, at the end of Drag Me to Hell?
1: I think that's I think that ending is an amazing ending. It is, I, I really love that. that fucking ending, and I would change nothing about it, same here, but
0: also that's mostly because Christine is a bad person, which is something that most viewers <laughs> do not agree with or recognize i but I, think I have so. a ton of empathy for christine i have um, not, i paul I just <laughs> Oh my God! Oh, this, oh, this, dude, this is this is a, a different <laughs> this is a different conversation. That we, okay. That's here's the thing: when I first saw that, that movie a decade talk. ago,
1: we could do our post podcast talk around. I his. don't
0: want it to be a post podcast. <laughs> I got I got shit to say, Paul. Say it, say it while they're a decade ago, eleven years ago. I would have said, okay, I have sympathy for Christine. Sure, she she does some dodgy things, cool. but at heart, she is a good person. Paul, no. What are you talking about? No. Okay, all right. No, Explain and here's yourself. why. Here's why. <laughs> Because last year, at the end of last year, probably for the last half of last year, I oh god, I'm grinding an axe here. This is this is the alcohol talking.
1: People just gonna fucking look well, past this. Welcome but, to our commentary on Revenge of Frankenstein. We're not going to twenty about me to hell. The uh, end of last
0: year, <laughs> I dated somebody who presented themselves as being the sweetest possible person, right? Okay. Like nicest sure. person. Like on the anything bad that ever happened to her was somebody else's fault, and she is just just a nice person trying to make her way by. Got it. And then what I realized was, it's like no, no, that's that's her mask, like. Her actions define who she is, not what she wanted, because deep down you, you can say that you're a nice person all you want. You can smile at people all you fucking want, but it's what you do to other people, regardless of excuses that actually makes you either a good person or a bad person. And Paul, let me tell you, I discovered that the sweet girl that I was dating was in fact a very bad person. And so now when I watch drag me to hell, I see that person in Christine that is a person who knows how to appear sweet and who feels bad for herself, but is willing to throw anybody under the bus if it means getting even the least little bit ahead. That is me grinding an axe that I probably shouldn't have on a fucking commentary. Well, okay. And I, I, you, I, I, I know Christine you. Brown from Drag Me to Hell more than I ever did after that last relationship. Because this, this is not – okay, when we date people – Right. We know maybe at the very beginning, A, B, and C, right? And then eventually sure, you
1: know, hear me sure. hear me out. I'm it's here. I'm the, e- listening. I'm I am listening. F G doctor Frank sent you you gotta drink while you're talking because Dr. sorry. Okay. And she's leaving a room, maybe? She left so that's too trust. Trust the hammer made to fuck things up. Uh oh my god, he's leaving the room too. Yep, he left the room.
0: I'm not leaving this.
1: You can go about Christine.
0: (laughs) When when we date people, tell me if I'm wrong about this. And I'm willing to hear that I'm wrong. Please tell me. Yes. But, okay, early on, you know, uh, we can recognize that somebody is A, B, and C. And then, you know, the longer we get to know them, we understand that there's also D, E, F, G, H, and so on and so forth, right? There's a lot of them. Exactly. Uh, Well, with the best ones, anyway. (laughs) And we determine whether or not that's compatible with us or good or bad or whatever. But there are also some people, when you you learn that you're told A, B, C, D, E, F, G, in fact, isn't really that at all. It's more like mm, A was more kind of like L, and B was kind of like Z, in fact. And really, what you know about that person wasn't actually what you knew at all. And that's what hurts most of all, I think. Uh, or at least stung the hell out of me, anyway, in a way that I wasn't expecting after you know four decades on this fucking planet. Sure god i did not expect to be talking about this on a fucking commentary for revenge of frankenstein listeners yet here we are (laughs) and yet here we are i blame the alcohol this is what happens hang out with me at a bar in sarasota on saturday so
1: this guy just entered a room so
0: fucking hell paul so anyway in wrapping up and we'll get back to peter cushing my I, point I get to have my people. say when
1: do I get to say my piece on Christine? <laughs> no,
0: you can. You can't. All I'm saying about Christine is this is that I know people who know how to pretend. Uh, you know, I did a podcast on it once with uh oh uh Jamie who wrote um um oh fuck I'm drunk, I can't remember. Um
1: he left the room, he left the room again. <laughs> she just oh said my <laughs> All they're doing anyway, is anyway, is talking anyway, to each she other. She and room. her two, son of a bitch. Easily two more drinks. Well, this is a good I, scene, by I, the way, where he's sort of wait. queuing her in on what's going see, on.
0: Is he really about to walk through another fucking door, this son of a bitch? <laughs> Let's
1: just talk I've got to finish my I thought of Christine. What? I know, but like, horror, Hammer Horror is pretty much just going into, <laughs> in and out of rooms <laughs> talking. Okay,
0: my, my, my final thoughts on Christine and anybody yeah. like her is this, holy shit, I just dropped something, um, is really? that it's not enough to pretend <laughs> that you're a nice person. Just because you know how to be nice doesn't mean that you're a good person. And right. I think that's what Sagman of Hell does brilliantly. It shows us a character that is nice, that is sweet, but really those are only affectations. Those are parts of her mask. Deep down, that's somebody who doesn't care about hurting other people to get what she wants. And so ultimately I think her being dragged to hell is entirely appropriate for that movie. Paul, please tell me why
1: I'm wrong or why I'm right. Okay. You, you want me to do this now or in the post chat? <laughs> I, I can do, do it that. now. All right. No, we're, we're I'll try to be, incre- I'll try to be incredibly brief. Um, So I get it. I get what you're saying. I, I think some of that, I mean, obviously look, you have personal experiences that, are going to project themselves a bit onto this character. I'm sorry, a bit? You're projected a little bit. Christine does one, count them, one thing in that movie that speaks to what you're describing, which oh, is not, shit. Which oh, does not give no. Mrs. Kadoosh another loan after she's had multiple opportunities oh. to pay up her mortgage. Now, granted, look, I get got... A dead cat that calls bullshit on you. The dead cats in the director's cut, that doesn't count.
0: Bullshit, it doesn't.
1: I mean, she kills the cat, but you don't like see it. And also, like, that kitty if You got thought your soul killed. was going to be dragged to hell. I mean, hell, being dragged to hell is really different than like that calling someone out on their bullshit. Right? I'm not saying that she doesn't have her own bullshit, right? Which she has a little bit uh, of entitlement and a little bit of uh, unrealistic expectation for life. It's and she and does all... do some questionable things and she's a bit shallow here and there. It's and... all heightened, right? Like, I don't it's want my high... ex to get dragged but, but to hell. It's like, okay, the Mrs. Ganouche thing, like, she does not, okay, let's say you're right. Let's say all that shit you just said is 100% true, that she's a shitty person masking it behind niceness, okay? Let's say that's true. She doesn't deserve to be dragged to hell. She doesn't deserve what Mrs. Ganoush does to her. And frankly, what Mrs. Ganoush does to her negates any deserving. She would have had because that's so over the top and ridiculous. She doesn't deserve to be attacked by this woman, but, Like, but oh, within a horror movie harm. setting, like, you know, that karma is going to bite a hell of a lot harder than it would in real life. I I don't think, I don't think it deser- it's deserving of hell. She didn't murder anybody.
0: She didn't no, like. No, I'm saying. everything else. Like it's it's the end of Stephen King's *Thinner*. Right?
1: It's like you can fight as hard as you want Thinner's against what you've been. Like he's particularly shitty. I feel like. Oh, like
0: I he, he no, but okay. How is he different from Christine? He, he, seeks he, he out, does he
1: seeks it out though. Like he, like she didn't ask to be part of any sort of weird ritualist situation
0: neither did and, the guy from thinner he didn't mean to hit that woman and the
1: movie the other reason i think that christine doesn't deserve it is the movie begins with a child being dragged to hell so the movie immediately establishes like this isn't fair this isn't something that should happen to anyone so like all well, i'm showing,
0: this out there that kid might have been a dick
1: okay that's fine but i think <laughs> the point of that opening was to make us feel, again, empathy for her plight and an understanding similar to Bruce Campbell and the Evil Dead, thing, Dead films, that when you're faced with eternal damnation, you're going to do what you got to do, right? Like, ultimately, Jigs, like, if it came down to it and you knew you are going to be dragged to hell, you're telling me you wouldn't kill a cat? I'm Look, I'm not saying I would. I'm not saying I wouldn't. We live in a day of cancel culture. I don't want to say something that'll get me.
0: Paul, <laughs> I but, think you're absolutely straight up saying you would kill the shit out of a cat. That's what that. I'm hearing not say it I you're not saying because you don't want to no say it, words, down, what you have told That's me it. what you have carnacking <laughs> me across this podcast like the, the distance across my this class, with, with is change. that you would kill a fucking cat
1: at the end of the day there are two people there are people who feel empathy for christine and people who don't <laughs> i here's the thing i there are who like urban legend and there are people who don't and <laughs> middle ground but <laughs> Oh, he just took off his uh, jacket. I think we should oh. probably talk about Dracula. Dracula, Frankenstein. Dracula, Paul? I don't fucking know. All put I know is he took off, his... put he put got different a a jacket, off. and then he fucking left the room. Jesus. Oh my god.
0: Okay, that was three drinks in a row. Is what that was. Okay. okay really don't okay, get me wrong, sorry. Paul. And I'm not saying we should debate uh, <laughs> Dracula, Hell, all fucking Revenge of Frankenstein here, but all I'm saying is, is that. When I first saw the movie, uh, in my twenties, my heart was complete with Christine. Now that I'm in my late thirties and I literally just dated somebody who was very fucking good at wearing a mask. Uh, now I can watch that movie and be like, Oh, that's bullshit. Like her pretending to be nice. Like she, she knows how to work the innocent sweet thing. Um, Anyway, that's probably the most I should say about that. Holy shit. I didn't, I did not intend for this I will, to be I'll tell you grinding. what, next I did, time I uh, watch it,
1: I will, I will keep that in mind and I'll see if my opinion changes. It's one of my favorite, one of my favorite horror movies. So I love that be, movie. I, I watch think, it every
0: year. I don't know if it's more or less insidious that Christine doesn't know that that's what she's doing. Cause I don't think she does. But, I think but she but believes that you is le- she's le- human. I think
1: that's less insidious. I think it's less because she's ah. not doing, I think when you do it on purpose, it's worse. I really think she's just inexperienced and young and a little, I mean, she's had a hard life in some ways because her mother's an alcoholic and she was, she's lost a lot of weight because she has horrible self-esteem. So she has really bad self-esteem. She has a hard home life. There are things that have happened. Right. And then she has, she sort of has a redemption point where she could have cursed or she thought she could have cursed her coworker. Who's a shitty guy too. And she didn't curse him. And that's later in the film. That's a little bit redemptive. And I think that's there to show us like she's changing because I think the old Christine would have given it to him.
0: It goes back to thinner, though, and what you said, like, uh, and it's what he does in the final moments. If not the book, then certainly the movie. But the gypsy and thinner tells him to die clean. And he accepts his curse because you know what? He might not have deserved hell. He might not have deserved a horrible death, but he did fucking set that train in motion, and he has to accept yeah, that. And he I think the same absolutely did. And I think the same thing is true of Christine. I did don't. she deserve? Did she deserve that at the very beginning? Absolutely <laughs> she not. Say in motion, she didn't know but, this person yeah. would curse her. Well, like, exactly. And but her. you know, <laughs> but that shouldn't have been a factor, Paul. By the time we get to the end, she had an opportunity to die clean. She had an opportunity to own. Her own shit, and she didn't. She still wanted to pass it off to fucking somebody else. One of the best scenes in the movie, by the way, when she digs
1: up Mrs. Ganoush is one of the best shot executed. Oh my fucking god, I love that scene.
0: It's brilliant. It's gothic, brilliant. I think Sam Raimi could direct the hell out of a hammer throwback, much like Tim Burton could. But you know what? The first time I saw that movie, I was pumping my
1: fist. Now when I watch it, I'm just gonna like. Uh, and he put you, on a jacket that's two drinks and he's about to leave really drink. Dress- it's really two drinks he's two drinks out. he's leaving okay, the okay, a window that's there's at least two all. drinks so drink okay
0: two. <laughs> okay you know what it's implied that he put on other articles of clothing why don't we just count all of those i think one dressing <laughs> should count for any number of articles of clothing i don't know man the fact I... that he's going out the window does that count as an accident? fine
1: if you want to complain, okay. About
0: he, it. You know what? He left and stairs. So that's two more drinks. Oh, while. look at that! They both just. Left.
1: I'm turning your game back on <laughs> you, pal. We'll both get Isn't fucked it. Up. Amazing how often and just walk out of the room. Room as well.
0: Three <laughs> more drinks. The I see stairs. stairs too. You ready? Okay, that's four drinks they're in a row. <laughs> I can't.
1: I can't even watch this movie anymore. All I see are stairs, doors, and clothing. Oh, this guy's going upstairs. <laughs> holy shit that was four drinks this a is room. an unintelligible commentary at this point and he went into a room <laughs> <laughs> okay two more drinks stairs and room at this point i'm just going to drink out of the bottle i'm just going to take the bottle i'm not going to pour drinks anymore because he's going downstairs is what's happening oh, i'm running out of my heat <laughs> oh my god he's going downstairs <laughs> oh anyway uh i feel empathy for christine (laughs) that's my thesis statement for this by the way i don't know who
0: is listening to this commentary so let me point out i am talking about the latter half of 2019 (laughs) not the first half or even the middle of 2019 i don't hold on so i just have to give that disclaimer oh is he about to go down steps Fuck, he just entered the room. Oh, he's downstairs, too. That's someone listening
1: is going to think you're talking about them, and you got to, like, clarify. Is that what?
0: Kind of, yeah. Honestly, the person I'm talking about would never listen to a horror movie podcast. So if you're listening to this, I am not talking about you. I'm excited to find out who that is. I, you see, I haven't. Uh, who that is, Paul, is, is somebody maybe? that used to follow you and unfollowed you out of
1: spite. Oh, you talk. Okay, I know who it is. Yeah, Paul. I know who it is
0: if you don't just, support it, I, trump i am not talking about you let's point that out that was an unpleasant surprise let me tell you oh shit jesus yeah yeah could you imagine I love
1: the, yeah that's horrible i, love the I,
0: I didn't it. know paul
1: i didn't I mean, know yeah that i but, could date someone that would i mean if i had to date again dude i'd be so fucked i wouldn't even know what to do i've i've been married since 2007
0: lucky you're lucky you're lucky and i've been
1: with my wife since 2005 i we've been together and like it was one of those things where and i shit you not at the end of our first date like no joke our first date we looked at each other and i was like we're gonna get married aren't we and she's like yep and that was it that's first fucking date it was just it was one of those moments where like you connect and it's just you know people say when you know you know i always thought that was bullshit now i actually believe it because it's like it just it's true it's just when you there's certain people you have a connection with and you just can't, it's just immediate and you know, and that's that.
0: Yeah. It doesn't but, mean that you're impervious it. to fucking it up though. I was, uh, no, I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking. I, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to at this point. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. No, I'm not talking about you. I swear to God. Uh I'm talking about myself. Mid twenties. Like I, <sighs> there was somebody who was like, you know, I, I know what you're talking about. You get the feeling. It's like, Oh, that person is the one, but it's like, <sighs> I was a fucking idiot, you know, and I fucked it up. I didn't do anything mean spirited. It was just one of those things where I, uh, because I was so young, you know, or at least I felt so young. I was like, I, I, I let something lapse that could have been and should have been great. And now I look back on it and I'm like, that was the person, you know, and I fucked it up and I have to live with that. And I think that every, every broken relationship that's sort of followed in its wake is kind of karma smacking me on the nose for it, constantly reminding me that I fucked up the one chance that I had of being really happy with somebody like that. Mm. This commentary got really dark. I apologize. <laughs> sorry to hear that, sir.
1: No, I, it's I, my uh, fucking I, I firmly bear. believe though, that, you know, we all, uh, let me try to say, so we all take the path that we sort of, need to take you know because the lessons we learn from the mistakes we make um inform us and make us stronger um even if we don't want to admit it so the shit that happens to us the worst thing that ever happens to us kind of defines us in some ways you know when i think about my life i've had some pretty shitty things happen to me and if they hadn't happened to me um well happened to me if they hadn't happened And affected me in the way that they did. Um, I wouldn't be who I am. And I like who I am. But there is a difference between stuff happening to
0: you and you having done them. Is there not? Sure. And so if something happens to you, I got to imagine that uh, speaking from the outside here, that it's easier to like yourself. Me? Paul, I got to tell you. And I don't think I would share this on a podcast unless I were like four mojitos deep. I don't really like myself
1: and eh,
0: it's fine, but you know, it's in eh, eh, point well, of fact I could actually say that for certain. I, I do not care for who I am. And I think all of that is a result of bad choices made early on. You know, I try and be better certainly, but you know, at this point well, I think I'm too many bad decisions in and too many losses charted up to actually make a good decision again. I mean, certainly last year was proof of that. I mean, holy shit. I thought I was finally pulling things into line, and in fact, the universe just continues to gut laugh at me. And you know what? I can't really blame it because, you know, the universe is really just me, and I'm really just Christine Brown. And you know, one thing is laughing at the other, and certain that the other
1: is, you know, uh, determined to be hellbound at a certain point. Well, uh, well, here here's what I'll say, and I'd like to welcome listeners to our uh, "Drag Me to Hell." Uh, commentary um and we're going deep here on it um no i mean hey, it, I, entered I think, a
0: room paul
1: oh shit so here's the thing jinx first off
0: five bucks says the
1: first off second. i'm gonna say this you like me right you like me yes i, I like you so by transitive property you like yourself um but Don't second start t- speaking rough. smart at me paul we're it too many is what it is, it is what it is you can't fight it um what i'll what i'll say is this I spent many years hating myself. Um, I'll get serious too. And and in some dark ways. That I'm not going to go into right now. <laughs> but uh, I was in a dark if place. Not now, a, lot people, a lot of people think of me. As a very positive. Uh, person. Um, right. And probably would find it. Really difficult to imagine me. In a very dark place. There but actually, I spent many years in a very dark place. Um, and I was very, cool. very unhappy. And I hated myself. Um, and the, and th- the key. God damn it. The key to finding my wife and the key to being in a better place was deciding years ago that it wasn't fair for my own brain to hate the person that lived inside of it. It wasn't fair to myself because if anyone's going to like you and look out for you, if anyone's going to do it, it's got to be you. It has to be. Because you can't count on anybody else in the world to do it. And you have to care about your own well-being. You have to. And if you don't, that's okay. But you got to work on it just like you would work on any other relationship. Because once you do that, once you can find in, And I'm not saying I don't grapple with self-doubt. I don't grapple with self-hatred. I still do to this day. But I fight it because I know it's worth it. Because if you win that battle that's when you put yourself in a positive mental state and that opens you up to the kinds of relationships that you're seeking you have to find way
0: i'm listening but he took his coat off
1: that's fine but jinx i care about you too much to let that shit slide because i appreciate it and
0: here's the thing i'm trying not to be all navel gazy here and I'm i'm trying not to be pessimistic on this podcast but at a certain point man You know, and I I wish I could leave it on the note that you just did. I think that's really optimistic for listeners, and I hope they take heed. But at a certain point, you rack up enough cons.
1: Nothing's a lost cause. Nothing. Nothing's a lost cause. I think that's a sweet thought. I don't know that it's actually practically true. It is true. You just got to get there. Yes, start at the start. Give yourself a break. Give yourself a break. Start over. You can't change the past. There's no point in focusing on stuff you can't change. It's, you've, you, you should honor it, accept it, and own it, right? I'm not saying disregard it, but it shouldn't determine the rest of your life, right? You, even people who are in prison for the rest of their life for something horrible they've done can find catharsis in that place if they decide they're going to be better and they care about themselves. And you haven't done anything that bad. <laughs> that's what that I you, think. that you know of. That I know of. But I trust you. Maybe that's wrong, but hell, I do it. <laughs> so, anyway, uh hey, hey, hey guys, we're watching The Revenge of Frankenstein. Uh, <laughs> it was uh directed by Terence Fisher, It was made in 1958. Uh it's a British horror film. <laughs> 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 Wikipedia writes. <laughs> Did we did we
0: go so far astray that we have to resort to Wikipedia entries? No, Ball, no, have we, I done that to us?
1: Look, I think on by this episode, if anyone is this deep into the cast, they're here for <laughs> us. Sticks. They're here for our banter. She just they just want to hear what we have to say, and drink. Goddamn, we probably missed a lot of drinks in there. I think we should each just take three drinks Fuck we you, probably... Paul. he just pulled his coat off and is putting another on that's two more drinks
0: i'm gonna keep pace with the movie
1: that's fine but is i feel really like about to... shorting everyone out there a few more drinks but that's fine
0: paul really? i only got so much
1: mojito left i'm just throwing that out there i'm a little disappointed that you didn't stack yourself up with enough mojito for this <sighs> paul i i had four massive glasses
0: sitting in front of me
1: that like... wasn't enough is what i'm saying
0: <laughs> it, 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 you damn right it wasn't. Holy shit, how much of this movie do we have left?
1: I don't know. It's not like we're doing a commentary or anything. Exactly. Uh, I, uh, oh, wait. What, like 20 minutes, probably? Oh, uh, we're fucked. We are fucked, because you know at the end of the movie is when all the stairs and the going into different rooms comes into play. As with War of Dracula. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about this movie. <laughs>
0: So, again, this is not one of my favorite Frankenstein movies. And yet, nevertheless, the Frankenstein cycle is easily my favorite Hammer thing, man. It's my favorite run that Hammer ever did. Even though, you know, it seemed like they spaced out all of the Frankenstein entries as opposed to the Dracula movies, which they just seemed to knock out like clockwork. So i got to imagine the Dracula franchise was more popular than the Frankenstein franchise. And yet, I think the Frankenstein franchise is far more solid than Dracula. And I think even more so than the curse of Frankenstein, this is the movie that really sets the tone for the rest of the films, even though continuity might be a bit dodgy. This is the one that when I look at this movie again, even though it's not at the top of my list, this movie sets the energy for the later entries more so than curse. Every day curse was a bit. I love curse of Frankenstein. Don't get me wrong. I adore that movie, but it's a bit stayed in a way Whereas this movie, even though it, it it doesn't have a huge
1: narrative driver,
0: it has an energy like it moves. You know, yeah, it really and,
1: does. Um, this is a really funny scene, by the way. Uh, <laughs> this, this is a scene where she's kind of like, well, you know. We wouldn't just sit on all night and get on with it. And he's like, "Get on with what?" She's like, "I'm going home." Like, it's a really funny <laughs> scene where it's like this super horny chick, <laughs> and she's like, "Come on, let's do this." And he's like, "What?" And she just leaves, and then she gets murdered. It's just kind of like a weird bit of comedy. She moves um, It's like way. a straight slapstick comedy sequence, you know, right out of a weird romantic comedy, um, and then it stuff. ends in murder. I just, I always got a kick out of that.
0: Stairs, Paul. Oh, oh more side. stairs. Let's do drinks.
1: Love it. Absolutely love it.
0: Now, why do you think he murders her? Is it just the fact that his brain was a bit deranged by the beaten from Durange.
1: the and, and I think they. This is another situation where they tie his lust with violence. So, like, it, lust to pushed to the extreme becomes violence. Like, he's. Cause the whole reason he wants to be trans, his brain transplant is because he sort of falls for the girl that he talks to and he wants to be handsome. And then, you know, when he gets put in there and they also mentioned that the, what was it? The orangutan that they put the brain in, like ate its mate or something along those lines earlier. Um, so they kind of established that. It's not a guarantee that it's not going to sort of derange you, but the fact that they say it ate its mate again, means like sexual partner stairs stairs so i think that was just more what it was sort of representing
0: you know it's funny they set up the idea that no matter what any resurrected person is going to wind up becoming a homicidal madman so what are we meant to think of frankenstein in the final moments of this movie
1: well i always took it as um so you see frankenstein he's exactly as he always was and i think that was just saying like yeah he is a sociopath he always has been you know so he's not any different that's kind of how i looked at it it was a confirmation that he's he is what we thought he was makes sense okay paul inevitably
0: this is the moment in the podcast where you have to regale listeners on your own. I have to go make more drinks because God, you mo man. you mojitoed me out. I don't out, have
1: so like a good Kubrick thing this time. <laughs> Holy shit, I haven't even heard that yet. So that's gonna yeah. be fascinating. You're, you're in
0: right. for a treat. I will okay. be back, sir. You're, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to count up how many drinks I need to take to make up <clears> for this. Right. Ready? Okay, I'm leaving in three, two.
1: Okay, listeners, we're going to um, lie to Jenks. We're going to say a lot of stairs and clothing were exchanged in this sequence, and we're going to tell him he needs to take. I think five. I think that's it's like a high number, but not too much. So that's what we'll tell him. Um, at this point in the film, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty into it. I love the idea of the hunchback character, uh, Carl, sort of regressing into his previous self. This scene's kind of interesting and in fact um originally uh I was reading I don't know where but oh in the trailer there was an alternate take in which uh Frankenstein calls out Carl multiple times to uh the you know Carl himself who's like yelling Frankenstein and they remove that scene because they were worried that it would implicate him more as being the actual Frankenstein. Like, it would be weird that he knows that guy's name who's accusing him as of being Frankenstein. I think it's kind of interesting that this, it was scripted that way and intended that way because it, it, it adds a more personal touch. Um, and I like the idea of him looking upon him silently and not saying his name. That feels more in the sort of reserved Victor Frankenstein mentality i also like how uninterested he is in a relationship you know when they show him earlier and he's like and the woman makes him put his ear to her chest and he's just kind of looking at his pocket watch and there where she's talking to him and he's more just interested in the facts and not her he has a one-track mind so to speak but yeah, this is the scene itself where he's yelling and in the other take, he uh Victor actually calls Carl to him, as opposed to just watching him silently. But this is a really scary scene. It's really well blocked. I love that long take. Paul, Again, let me just
0: tell you sure. if yeah. you haven't tried standing and walking around in a few, it's a blast.
1: I'm um not and you interrupted my thought, but that's fine. Uh, you missed uh, five instances of clothing and rooms. I've already drank those five, but you need five drinks. Bullshit. Really? Yeah. Ask the listeners. They'll back me up. Listeners, is he lying to me? <laughs> uh, go like ahead and tweet me? at Jinx uh, and let him know that I am not lying right, right. now. Because I know you're all listening live. Five drinks. Okay. Five, five oh, full hell drinks i've already poured another one actually i'm in the process of refilling again because it was a fucking roller coaster ride oh my god all right and uh Oof. other various
0: situations okay just took uh proud. just took five drinks feeling oh, that. i'm
1: proud yeah. i feel that that was the right decision <sighs> holy and shit How'd you did that good Look luck this- back next time
0: Look at this guy's coat. It's impressive as hell.
1: That's, totally about... <laughs> 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 That's
0: about all I've got for this commentary. You know, again, we're going to peter out pretty early on, I think, as far as what we're able to provide people commentary wise.
1: You realize that the last halves of these things are just going to be people laughing at us. That's fine. I Look, most of the reason I listen to any podcast Jenks is i like the banter between the people on them i like hearing them talk about horror movies or whatever movies and just just kind of hearing them shoot the shit that that's kind of what i like fair enough Not everybody likes that um and for those people they probably won't listen to this but you know five bucks says the son of a bitch walks down says he, damn it he did good yeah i tried to front load my hammer commentaries with actual relative information. Although I was really <laughs> proud of myself when you left, I actually provided a tidbit about the scene that was occurring. I was, I was like, wow, I actually have something uh, to offer Hell you, you say. I swear to God, you have to listen to it. Okay, to listen. Did it have anything to do with the
0: flower that he pins in his lapel? Because I feel like there's Nothing. a weird arc there. <laughs> there's an arc that that man has oh, with I, flowers.
1: I, like this scene where he's kind of like where he where uh, they want to have like a council to discuss whether or not he's Frankenstein and hans is like don't go leave the country and frankenstein's like fuck that i'm gonna go talk to all those sons <laughs> of bitches and i'm gonna lie you know and he just doesn't give a shit like he's not even remotely scared
0: okay not for oh, nothing oh, does man. he
1: not convince you though that he's not Frankenstein? he completely by the convinces me i mean i i can't believe there's and i mean that's what's so good about how he plays like and that's again why i feel he's sociopathic is he doesn't have any fear he doesn't care and and if he is caught his mind will just transition to the next mode of survival that it has to be in okay so let me
0: ask you then do you find
1: him at any point to be and you have talked
0: about writing a paper about his arc in the movies and i would love to read it but i i I i would read the hell out of it i've read your uh hammer columns on bloody disgusting sir and every listener out there should go to bloody disgusting look up paul's hammer column anyway how do you reckon then with his more again, if not heroic, then certainly he's the protagonist, but that type of role in the later movies in the third and fourth films, how do you think that figures into the man that we've seen in the first two movies? I love the scene. Um,
1: I think of him a bit
0: like I. Think he of, just entered the room, by
1: the way. Oh, shit, and and I know you asked me a question, but I also want to just comment on this scene. I fucking love this scene. This yeah, when scene they turn on great. him. Well, so and good. again, okay. So this scene actually ties into how I reckon with the later movies. Okay, so some of his sociopathy is learned behavior, and what I mean by that is he grew up isolated. He didn't have family. Um, He didn't have anyone to answer to. He was a fucking baron. So everyone was like afraid of him and he doled out money wherever he wanted. So some of his sociopathy is learned. Um, I'm not saying he can't feel. I'm saying he learned not to. And I think as the films progress, he learns how to a little bit. Um, And I I think of him a little bit like I think of Dexter, you know, the show Dexter, which did not end well but has some really good ideas in it. And I think oh, some of the... not
0: for nothing. I think it ended perfectly. Oh. And I know I'm in the minority. Uh,
1: there. I disagree, but anyway, uh, okay. Okay. Uh, We're going to fight about Dexter. We now. won't talk. Don't wait. We got to wait till the end of the movie. We'll talk about Dexter at the end of the movie. I hate I, it. I'm, I'm but, raring to go about Dexter. Okay. Now. We could do it. Um, but what I'll say is that the villain of the show, Dexter and the villain that should have emerged is not Dexter himself. It's Harry. It's his adopted father. That is the villain of the show. In my opinion. He is the bad guy um and he's the one that taught dexter to kill people when he could have got dexter help early on and dexter probably would have been fine that's what i think because basically he, he's convinced at the beginning of the series that he can't feel anything he can't love anybody and then very quickly he learns oh shit i love a lot of people and i'm in love with my wife or this woman i'm gonna marry her and i like i love her kids and i love my sister but no i can't love anyone and the only reason he doesn't think he can love everyone is because we keep seeing these flashbacks of harry going now you know you can't love anyone you know it's like <laughs> that that is what fucks him up is this man who decided to fucking like take it under his own arms as opposed to getting him the help he needed to see him through whatever he was going through but, and what you, weird dark desires he had now now again going back to the christine stuff. talk that we did
0: the christine brown talk that we did you know that harry did not do that with malice
1: he did no, it with love and fucked and harry was dexter's dark passenger that's who that's that's what that show that would have been such a better ending is that the dark passenger manifests itself as harry because that's who it is by the end of that show the only reason dexter's doing what he's doing is because harry taught him to do it and he has love and respect for harry but that love and respect has been twisted into him believing it's his psychosis which it isn't the case It was just taught to him that way because Dexter was young, fucked up, and needed help. And Harry did the wrong thing. And yes, he he did the wrong thing, but he did it out of love. I agree, but he's still the dark passenger, he's still the villain. I agree. Okay, so think so, what so Harry you, does you is you a clarify. lot fucking worse than what Christine does. All <laughs> oh, bullshit. Yes. I, I, no. No. Christine no. And here's why. Here's bunch why. Of fucking people being murdered. He, no. 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 No.
0: Christine does what she does only for herself. Yes. Harry harbors Harry, a, Harry harbors so a, well a
1: boy. Uh, about,
0: but, Harry harbors a kid yeah. that he knows is a danger to himself. And his loved ones, and yet he still tries. Does right. he fuck up? He absolutely he fuck fucks majorly, up. Majorly, and he's a, he anyway, he majorly like, does. He um, majorly does. But
1: that is the best that that guy can do under the circumstances. Sure. That well, he thought, thought he could do, which wasn't again. He made a he made a hard and fast decision. He went full tilt into it, and it. And it led to a lot of really bad things happening. But anyway. But at a certain point. Uh, what I, it, I, And uh, you know what? We can bring this back to Victor Frankenstein, too. But when it goes to this Dexter, movie. like <laughs> <laughs> this like the titular most important thing about the movie, like his ultimate revenge is is creating a new body and self and having. And, and also, this, I wanted to bring something up is here. His
0: revenge, and, though? Like, what is the revenge of Frankenstein here? Do you think?
1: surviving and continuing his work
0: that's sketchy
1: to me i I guess i mean there's not really i don't really see any other revenge good payoff on the arm do you okay i have a question and and we will get back we will get back to dexter i promise that there's all stairs okay i'm gonna bring up a movie right now it's called get out
0: okay entering. entering they're about to enter
1: I'll bet there's entering that's going to happen here. Do you think this movie had any impact on the brain stuff and get out?
0: Uh, no, no more so than any other mad scientist move. Oh, they're, they're going to fucking enter. I know
1: it. It's just going to happen. They're standing there. I've I- never seen a horror movie used here they go. in surgery and moving into other bodies. So specifically that like, I can't think of one
0: i i i'll say this as much as i love hammer movies when i saw get out what i thought was mad scientist films i didn't immediately think revenge of frankenstein
1: i thought i the minute i saw this movie i it, i thought of get out i'm not saying it's like the primary thing of get out obviously get out doing a million different great things from a million different movies but I do, th- I, I would wonder if this isn't an, a direct influence on it. it. It would be a question I would ask Jordan Peel if I ever, like, that would be the question I would ask. Because I know I would, ask, with Jordan I would huh? kill, I would kill. I, to do- I, well, and that's the thing is you always try to think of, like, an interesting question. You know, you don't want to ask the question everyone's asked. And I'm like, I feel like asking him hey was revenge of Frankenstein influence would be a cool question because it, it's it's small it's simple and maybe it's no but i feel I was like to
0: say what what if the answer is no okay well <laughs> and then i would say
1: well I, I i just thought of it when i thought and that's that and then i would move on and i'd walk away and that would be that but you know what i would ask him and i'd say hey one time i talked to jordan peele and it was pretty cool
0: <laughs> oh god i would do i would i would kill the podcast with that guy
1: um, I love this. I love this ending, by the way. Oh, with it's the ornament, uh, payoff of the tattoo. Can we can we
0: just say that Doctor Frankenstein or Baron Frankenstein chooses really shit alter names or AKAs? Like, you know, it's like if you look like that, don't call yourself Doctor Stein. Don't call yourself Doctor Frank.
1: You know what? <laughs> my name is Doctor Frankenstein. <laughs> that was just my jacket. <laughs> That was my drunk joke. It was good. Uh, he's playing on jacket. Oh fucking hell! Being a far, his lapel—that's kind of like clothing. Drink, motherfucker! Drink, and guess what he's doing? <laughs> guess what the final shot of the film is? <laughs> he's son of a bitch!
0: <laughs> well, no, no. Is he? Re- oh, yeah, he is. He is. There. He absolutely is. And this gotta is- love the monocle. Look at that suave son of a bitch. Curling his
1: mustache, almost like they have. It's almost like they're married. Like they have like a like a. Um, not, I'm not saying they have a romantic relationship, but there's <laughs> a there's a intimacy that those two share that he never shares with a woman. Oh, they 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 experimented behind
0: closed doors, Paul. It it happened. I would,
1: um, I would buy it, and I would actually think that was a little more endearing in some ways. i was like, <laughs> Knowing that he had somebody <laughs> that he had some level of intimacy with. But his intimacy was always with other other men until the later films. Obviously, there's uh, a very unfortunate rape in a later film um, that nobody seems to like. So I'm not quite sure why it's even in the movie.
0: That's nice. um,
1: but uh, at any rate. So, um, well, listeners, that is The Revenge of Frankenstein. Here we, we come the whole to the thing. And we Force talked lady. about i feel we talked about the movie the entire way through we never (laughs) gave a very thorough understanding of the film you know i've listened to a lot of commentaries at this point i think we went through gosh every aspect don't you i mean we talked about we didn't really talk about the script at all uh my great script i guess i kind of touched on it
0: my tummy is warm
1: okay that's not really the question i asked but that's fine (laughs) (laughs) so you wanted to give me shit about dexter's terrible ending go ahead do it all right motherfucker okay listen (laughs) it's a fucking awful ending dude okay Okay. before
0: i before i start in why (laughs) is it a terrible ending
1: okay um all right so anyone that hasn't seen dexter and plans on watching it be aware i am about to spoil a lot of things about the final season okay Um, I will try to be brief because I want to give Jinx his his say. And can I also, can I preface this a little bit? Is that okay? If I just preface my argument. Okay. I feel the first season of Dexter is one of the best seasons of television ever made. I love it. I think it's perfect. I think it's wonderful. I think it sets up a fantastic series that I'm very excited to watch. I think season two should have been transplanted and have, and had been its final season. Most of what happens in season two should have been the ending. So the Bay Harbor butcher tracking Dexter down, that is what the show should have been building to because ultimately the premise of, Hey, We have a serial killer. He only kills bad guys, but he's also a cop and he's a lot of cop friends. Like the ultimate payoff of that show should be everybody figuring out who he is. That's what that show needs to lead to for it to be satisfying. In my opinion. Um, Having said that. It decided to do the Bay Harbor butcher season in season two and frame it as another cop um, and then be out of the way in a very sort of quick truncated, you know, we want to pay off this sort of really cool plot point as quickly as we can. And then the show was a little listless in season three, in my opinion, season four was really good where they brought in John Lithgow as the Trinity killer. um, And that was when the initial, uh, uh, series showrunner left and at the end of season four um, his wife again I'm spoiling stuff but at the end of season four his wife dies which to me was a great moment in that show because Dexter's a character who always talks about how he can't feel anything he doesn't love anybody he can't feel anything he fakes it because he's a sociopath and he knows that's what he's supposed to do and yet and yet He does care about his wife and he does care about his sister and he does care about his wife's kids, which flies in the face of the narrative that we're constantly being told, which means that he's wrong. He is wrong about his inability to care. And when he comes upon his dead wife's body at the end of season four, there's a change in Dexter and we can sense it and we see, holy shit. He's now experiencing real loss, similar to when his stepfather died, who taught him how to sort of survive in the world, being sociopathic. Um, and his world's about to crash down upon him. Now, a good show <laughs> would capitalize on this moment and change the format of everything we know. Like, uh, I'll, I'll reference something to, to give you an example. Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad is a show where there's a character who's selling drugs and he's lying to his family about it. Now, most shows that are bad shows would run that all the way to the end that lie, but no, at about the season two Mark right way, halfway through at the end of season two, his wife finds out that he's selling drugs and it fucks up his whole life. And the entire show has to change to match that story element because it doesn't make sense that he'd be able to do those things and not get caught. So in season five of Dexter, when his wife is killed, the whole show should change, right? Like he should now have to take care of his kids. He has a baby. He's got his wife's kids. His wife is dead. He's actually going to experience emotion. And what the show decides to do is basically throw away in the first episode, his emotional attachment to his wife, where he goes and just randomly kills somebody. And then after that, he's basically fine. They remove the sh- the kids from the show so he doesn't have to deal with them. And they give him this like maid that watches his baby all the time at all hours of the night. So the show doesn't have to change and it's very poorly written and it doesn't make any sense. And it just shits in the face of the emotional change that should have happened in the character. So that's the first point where I started to not like the show where it all builds to is the final season where basically Uh, uh, Instead of all of the plot points that were built up throughout the series colliding, they introduce a bunch of fucking new characters, like including a Russian mafia guy uh, that Dexter has to face off against and just build in all this filler plot that has nothing to do with the emotional impact of every other character on the show. Um, and make him deal with that then they bring back a random serial killer girlfriend that he had in the later seasons to take his son so he has somewhere to go which again flies in the face of the emotional change that dexter should actually have um they basically write out his other kids so we never really have to deal with them they live with their grandparents and they show up every once in a while for like you know sweeps week or whatever the fuck it is And then Deb, who's his most important character on the show that he has a relationship, dies off screen, not even on screen after having found out who he was and not really dealing with it in any meaningful way. Um, And then uh, uh, he never gets caught by his police department. Half most of them never figure out exactly who he was. The only person of importance that does figure out who he was is killed by Deb, which makes zero sense that she would do that. Or if she does do that, there's no real payoff for it. There's no real comeuppance for the decision to do that. And then he goes off and becomes a lumberjack because, and he ends up alone. And I suppose the catharsis is supposed to be, he's reaping what he has wrought, but reaping what he has wrought would be everybody figuring out who he is and what he did and him either turning himself in and going to jail and trying to rectify the situation, or at least being disgraced by the police department that he lied to all those uh, for all that time, and understanding that himself internally has made the wrong decision in his life, which he never really accomplishes. That's my problem with that show. <laughs> Long pause.
0: No, I hear you. <laughs>
1: I apologize. This is more negative than I really like to be. And I actually feel really guilty about saying all that now that I said it. Um, and I think Jake's is mad at me.
0: (laughs) No, I'm not. I tell you what, I'm going to finish up here and then, uh, we're going to hop off here because I'm about to be sick. I think, um, sorry. No, when it comes to Dexter, I think the final season is weak. I don't think it ties up every loose end. what I do love about it is that it presents him with the punishment that he deserves. Uh, When we first meet Dexter, he is a guy who loves the colorful setting that he's in. He loves loud music. He loves, uh, you know, bold flavors. He is a guy who is constantly active in his own mind. By the time, you know, what with the, uh, the narration and everything. By the time we reach the final moments, this is a guy that we're finally presented with that is not our hero. He's a bad person. Like, he just is. He makes bad choices. It doesn't matter what's in his past. Like, at a certain point, he has to take responsibility for himself. And in the final moments, he is a guy who, rather than the job that challenged him creatively, he is put into a job that's manual labor. Rather than being in a setting that is colorful and vibrant and full of life, he is in a gray, drab setting. Um, and in the final moments, rather than him having this interior life that is constantly active, what with the constant narration that we've had from him throughout the entire thing, he's utterly dead. There is not a word that is spoken inside of his own head. He is working as a trucker in a gray, wet, horrible setting, and his inner life is utterly dead. And that, to me, as much as I like Dexter and as much as I sympathize with Dexter, that is the ending that Dexter deserves. And we, deep down as a viewer, we know it. Like, we want him to go on. We want him to go on Punishing Bad People. We want him to be, you know, we want him to have his Cuban sandwiches and his mango shakes. And we want him to wear flashy collars. And we want him to be doing cool blood splatter stuff and we want him to be commenting on everything with this wry sort of humor that he does because that's charming to us sure but in the final moments he is given what he really deserves and what we as audience members should have expected for him from the very beginning which is no matter how many seasons not just ending at the fourth but later on you know whether it be a season devoted to familial love or fulfillment in one's job or religion or a family life or all of the little steps that every single season gives him towards becoming a real life person. And this is a Pinocchio tale. Yeah. Yeah. We get to the ending that he finally deserves, which is punishment. He deserves that ending. And frankly, we do too. And it sucks because it swats us on the nose but really I can't think of any better final moments for that character.
1: I have no issue with him ending up in a place like that. I have an issue with how the entire show, like how it's written. I, I don't I don't I think it treats the rest of the cast and the rest of the story with very little respect is what I'm getting at. Like I was offended by how little respect it had for the narrative it set up. So I'm looking at narratively, not like, uh, sort of philosophically, philosophically. Absolutely. Great ending. That's exactly what he deserved. He deserves to be unhappy (laughs) that motherfucker. But like, I I think it's kind of like a Christine situation where you have no empathy for Christine, but I do, I have no empathy for Dexter. Um, like at all in that show by the end, I have none. So when, when he gets there, I'm kind of like, yeah, okay, fine but I wish this ending had taken a completely different path with better writing that honored the six seasons of TV. I watched to get here that that's why I don't watch a lot of TV shows is I feel like most TV shows just disappoint me. It's like I dedicate, you know, if a movie disappoints me, I dedicated 90 minutes, whatever, you know, it's not going to ruin my night. If I dedicate 60 hours to watching a show, it better amount to something great. And I don't have a lot of time in my eyes to like sort of suffer shitty writing (laughs) and bad plotting and a lack of effort to make something cohesive, you know, just because it ends up in the right place. Does that make sense? No, it totally does.
0: Unfortunately, (laughs) I think we've
1: reached the end of our time. Okay. (laughs) Paul, where can people find you at online? I'm, I'm I'm not well, sir you're good we can we can cut it off i mean at is great 2000 on twitter i'm sorry for all the negativity at the end i actually do like things for the most part and i do like the first season of dexter first season of dexter is great all
0: right i am at jinx 1981 feel free to tweet me and tell me what a wimp i've become by the end of this episode folks until next time thanks so much and have a great weekend